0: This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking, who attacked our country? <laughs> you not, not living, a against the United States, <laughs> 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 can you tell us? Everything pertaining to what's
1: happening, you we'll never know your the one in the mountains, sir. are in the mariner of the children. What occurred my motive. I fell in a different world.
2: And if this is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position of Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how did the army
0: feel about you being the head of the Temple of Death? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want
2: you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of
3: these things. The people that have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for
4: putting in a position on him will never let the truth yeah. come aboard to
2: and I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And
4: uh, who was the grotto leader? Don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? very I think we've mentioned the family before in Washington. Yeah. Jeff Charlotte yeah, a wrote a kind of famous yeah, book about
3: them. It came up a lot in the connection with this. Um,
4: they're extremely sus. And I read that book years ago, and I kind of remembered, like, oh, yeah, wouldn't they have connections to some African country? And I thought, it, maybe it was yeah, Uganda. And, yep, sure enough, Uganda. yeah, they're all about Uganda. And, so in fact, th-
3: like, a lot of, like, uh, family-connected organizations, like, directly funded... Invisible children, I think, according to, I think that same Atlantic article, they pointed it out. Uh, I, I Yeah, think, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were some connections. The National now, Christian it, it, Foundation provided them with $600,000 over the oh, years. Yeah.
4: Damn. And, you know, since uh, Jason Russell was raised in a, like, evangelical Christian, like, theater family, mm-hmm. you know, that had a successful theater thing, um, it's not surprising at all that, You know, he would and he seems to be still a practicing Christian of I don't even know exactly what denomination he is. But in this interview with Jeff Charlotte on NPR years ago, Terry Gross asks him about the president of Uganda, President Museveni. Does he have any connections with the family? Charlotte says the family identified him back in 1986 as a key man for Africa. They wanted to steer him away from neutrality or leftist sympathies and bring him into conservative American alliances, and they were able to do so. They've since promoted Uganda as this bright spot, as I say, as this bright spot for African democracy, despite the fact that under their tutelage, Museveni has slowly shifted away from any even veneer of democracy, imprisoning journalists, tampering with elections, supporting, strongly supporting this anti-homosexuality act of 2009, Uh, He's come out just this last week and said that this bill is necessary because Europeans are recruiting homosexuals in Uganda, that Europeans are coming in and trying to make Ugandans gay. And he's been rewarded for this because this is sort of where these sort of social issues and foreign affairs issues and free market fundamentalist issues all come together. So she asks, how did the family create its relationship with Museveni? And he says, in 1986, a former Ford official named Bob Hunter... uh, Former Grateful Dead lyricist. <laughs> no, um, Yeah, the former Bob Hunt, uh, former Ford official, Bob Hunter, went over on trips at the behest of the U.S. government, but also on behalf of the family, both of which he filed reports that are now in the family's archives. And his goal was to reach out to Museveni and make sure that he came into the American sphere of influence, that Uganda, in effect, becomes our proxy in the region. And that relationship only deepened. In fact, in the late 90s, Hunter, again, working for the family, went over and teamed up with Museveni to create the Uganda National Prayer Breakfast as a parallel to the U.S. National Prayer Breakfast and to which the family every year sends representatives, usually congressmen. So Gross asks him, what's the relationship of Museveni and the family now? He says it's a very close relationship. He is the key man. She says, what does that mean? What influence does the family have on him? He says it means they have a deep relationship of what they'll call spiritual counsel. But you're going to talk about moral issues. You're going to talk about political issues. Your relationships are going to be organized through these associates. So Museveni can go to Senator Brown back and seek military aid. Inhofe, as he describes, Inhoff says that he cares about Africa more than any other senator. And that may be true. By the way, he appear, Inhofe appears in Kony 2012, mm-hmm. uh, and Senator Brownback is listed as one of the senators you should target to get them to stop Kony. So he says, uh, it may be true. He certainly traveled to Africa extensively. He says he likes to accuse the State Department of ignoring Africa, so he becomes our point man with guys like Museveni and Uganda, this nation he says he's adopted. And we give foreign aid to Uganda. These are the people who are in a position to steer that money. And as Museveni comes over, as he does and spends time at the family's headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, a place called the Cedars, and sits down for counsel with Doug Coe, that's where those relationships occur. It's never going to be the hard sell where they're going to, you know, twist Museveni's arm behind his back and say, do this. As the family themselves describes it, you create a prayer cell, or what they call and this again, this is their language from their documents, an invisible believing group of God-led politicians who get (laughs) together and talk with one, an invisible, invisible believing group of God-led politicians who get together and talk with one another about what God wants them to do in their leadership capacity. And that's the nature of their relationship with Museveni. What Um. the fuck? So, okay, multiple people that are in the family are in the Kony 2012 documentary. And Museveni is like probably, I think, the African leader that is maybe the most, inf- maybe the most powerful or prominent foreign leader to be like a full member of the family. Yeah. As I far as I so. know.
3: Or like, yeah, to I think that he's definitely the most, They there's a huge, like you can just even, even just from anecdotal experience, like in my own life, like it's clear that there's like a big evangelical Christian focus on Uganda and it dovetails with, I actually found this very interesting article or not article even like it's a, I feel like it's like a thesis written by like an undergrad. So props to Karen Norris, the undergrad who wrote this article called the The effects of American involvement in Northern Uganda's conflict with the Lord's resistance army, which talks about some of these uh, issues in an, in an interesting way and kind of gives it an interesting timeline for how this, uh, This kind of evolved. I think that a lot of it lines up with what you're talking about. She writes, uh, international political dynamics shifted following the end of the Cold War in 1990 from anti-communism to anti-Islamic extremism. The antagonistic relationship between Museveni and Sudanese president al-Bashir earned U.S. support for Uganda as Osama bin Laden had identified Sudan as the center of his expansive global ambitions for Islamic fundamentalism. Suddenly, Uganda's strategic location, political sympathies, and dependency on international aid made it a desirable and attainable regional ally, bordering both Kenya and Tanzania, the sites of the Nairobi and Dar es Salaam U.S. Embassy bombings of 1998, which were organized by Bin Laden's Sudanese-based al-Qaeda network with governmental compliance, Uganda proved to be a geographically strategic location with politically useful affiliations. Uganda's political value was further bolstered by the terrorist attacks in the United States in 2001, after which the American government pursued a strong anti-terror foreign policy. Not only was Sudan added to the list of states sponsoring terror, but its affiliate, the LRA, was identified by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. Furthermore, counterinsurgencies and infrastructure support operations became an important political and military strategy to prevent the cultivation of extremism in developing nations located on the border of the congo and south sudan and in the region of sudan and somalia the four uh, most failed states in the world as of 2013 you know like uh, whatever uganda is a uniquely failed situated states. ally failed states <laughs> failed uganda state. is a uniquely situated ally in america's initiative to promote Uh, quote economic growth improvements in education and health and more accountable government to mobilize Africa's deep and abiding religious and cultural traditions and resisting the siren song of extremism read islam okay so to reward Uganda's support in the individual sorry in the international war on terror both for undermining the government in Khartoum through SPLA endorsement and for contributing troops to the Somalian operations against al-qaeda affiliate al Shabaab. The U.S. has consistently provided the Museveni administration with financial and military support. However, American foreign aid policies, both military and developmental, face significant criticism. The federal government is accused of the diversion of aid money, largely influenced by the Department of Defense, toward military law enforcement and political support for governments and military actors friendly to U.S. interests, rather than towards poverty alleviation, healthcare and education reforms, infrastructure strengthening, and government impro- governance improvement. Accusations of U.S. military, political, and economic imperialism via aid programs have unfortunately become, quote, a trademark of U.S. international relations since the September 11th attacks. In 2000, for example, Israel and Egypt, key military and political allies of the U.S. in the Middle East and North Africa, received twice as much aid money as all of sub-Saharan Africa combined, though it is the location of the highest concentration of impoverished countries in the world. Even food assistance programs, part of counterinsurgency and infrastructure strengthening policies, are often more reflective of American domestic agriculture surpluses than humanitarian objectives. Uh, in Uganda specifically, economic aid has been directed not only towards humanitarian aid and infrastructure stabilization, but military logistical support. In fact, following Museveni's alliance with the U.S. against Khartoum and the 2007 operations against Al Shabaab in Somalia, Uganda rose to become one of America's top 10 recipients of foreign aid, receiving uh, 400, wow, $457 million in 2010. I guess it's millions. According to uh, Klein, between 2002 and 2011, $50 million of U.S. peacekeeping funds were directed towards logistical support of the Ugandan military under the condition that they cooperate with neighboring governments and refrain from committing atrocities. The Uganda's key strategic importance has allowed numerous human rights abuses and violations of other nations' sovereignty to go unpunished. Economic support has been primarily distributed through the United States Inter- Agency for International Development, USAID, mm. which has provided emergency assistance with food and shelter during the conflict and assisted war-affected children and unemployed youth with tools and access to training to gain better access to income-generating activities as part of the conflict recovery effort. Total monetary contributions from the State Department amount to $560 million in conflict-related humanitarian assistance between 2002 and 2011. Uh, $750 million for post-conflict recovery efforts and an additional $10 million per year between 2011 and 2013 as a provision of the Lord's Distance Army Disarmament and Northern Uganda Recovery Act of 2009, passed by the U.S. Congress. In congruence with other international donations, aid comprises nearly half of Uganda's national budget. This figure was exceeded wow. uh, in 20, uh, sorry 2008. Two years after the conclusion of the war, when foreign assistance encompassed sixty-four percent of the budget, He'll you know, be basically
4: t- propping up the Museveni government. Yes,
3: uh, very much. So she talks about some of the like positive. Um, effects of the USAID support like education reform, anti-aids, malaria, and tuberculosis programs, things like that. But they also uh, talk about the greatest accusation facing all international aid groups in the Northern Uganda conflict, including USAID and cooperating NGOs, is the internment of thousands of people in protected camps that resulted in the creation rather than the alleviation of a major humanitarian crisis. Under the guise of protecting civilians from LRA attacks, the Ugandan government mandated the concentration of the population in the Acholi region in camps for internally displaced persons, IDPs. Yeah. Yeah. Resulting in the widespread dependence of at least a million people on food aid from NGOs and government aid programs coordinated by the UN's world food program, WFP within these camps, mortality rates soared. And by 2005, as many as 1000 people died every week within them from AIDS, malaria and continued LRA raids. So, I mean, there's not really a a distinction because they also kind of make people vulnerable to the LRA raids. But I think that I read that, like, more people died in these camps than were killed by the Lord's Resistance Army. It's Um, a great
4: way to get a million farmers, self-sufficient farmers, off the land and get them completely dependent well, on you isn't a- it
3: another thing i mean i want to talk about speaking of like the family and all this stuff like you found a uh, interesting documentary uh, oh, that yeah. i think was predated coney 2012 this is kind of a uh yeah v- similar 0. yeah similar in many ways but like a very different tenor that's very explicitly christian and targeted at christians And this, you know, very, very uh, clearly cast this as like a spiritual war where Kony, could they call his army the Satan's uh, resistance army and talk about the sort of how uh, the Ugandans who like pray to God get their kids back. But those who sort of like uh, use witchcraft methods don't. But at the end of the documentary, there was an interesting interview with a a Christian uh, Ugandan. You know, the voiceover says, like, although uh, Ugandan Christians are opposed to the IDP camps, believe that they should end eventually, uh, they may have a redemptive purpose. And then they interview this guy who says, you know, I actually wrote down what he said. God has allowed them to come in the camps whereby all of them can hear the word of God and come to Jesus Christ. Uh, So he's saying, like, otherwise we'd have to go to the villages and, like, talk to them. But they're all, like, being concentrated in one place where we can proselytize (laughs) to them. And if we don't use this window of opportunity, the Muslims are there. They are eager to come and take them. No. Yeah, and there's even, like, a scare chord, like, in the documentary, like, you know, when he says, like, <laughs> the Muslims are there. You know, like, it's
4: no yeah. i actually i i almost like this documentary it's like it's sus, but i fuck with it like yeah. it reminds me uh we were just talking about like the 1990s like policeman's guide to satanic cults like yeah. VHS video mm-hmm. that yeah. you can still find it is very much that energy of like yes. you know this program contains <laughs> you know, like it it really it it in certain aspects it's kind of um sj pilled in terms of it's called an unconventional war how Kony and his Satan's Resistance Army were defeated. And it's from 2006, so six years before Kony 2012. But what's interesting is that a lot of the same characters kind of pop up in it, including Museveni himself, who was interviewed, and a lot of uh, Ugandan generals, and, you know, uh, pretty much everybody in it is very Christian. Yes. But... It's it, a documentary,
3: like for Christians by Christians. It's about like, yeah,
4: you know, and it's yeah. almost tying Coney. This is an interesting tack because it's like sort of not what Jason Russell did, but they almost tie Coney to like, I hate to say it, but like satanic panic kind of tropes. Yeah, of like he's a sicko Satanist who yes. like, but you know, in doing that, they go over. Like all of the ritualistic aspects of the LRA and Kony's relationship with spirits and yes. how they they do practices like lauding, which I guess they say is like calling demons. Yeah. And they have footage of like these spooky kind of summoning indigenous kind of uh, ritual ceremonies where they're basically like, yeah, summoning djinn or demons or something to give them power and all of the Ugandan Christian officials and people that are basically interviewed in this movie are fully like, accept this as a reality. Yeah. Like this is not metaphorical. He is literally drawing power from evil spirits and from the devil. And, you know, they, they go into kind of detail about, you know, how, how he actually goes about and does this. I think a lot of different numbers are mentioned. I think, you know, it's either a council of eight spirits or you said 13 or something like that.
3: Yeah. But well, there is, he yeah. consults with them mm-hmm.
4: and yeah. they also, the you know, the real thing, which is interesting because up to this day, it's true about Coney is that he is almost uniquely elusive. And you can never capture him. And they interview a lot of, yeah, like, military it was, officers. It was really like, you know, it's not yeah, normal. There's so, yeah, exactly. There's so many times when we had him surrounded. We had him totally, you know, all of them rounded up. And somehow he, like, slips away into the night. And we can yeah. never get him. And what Coney claims, uh, I there there's a Journeyman Pictures, like, interview uh, with him from, like, 2005. And what he straight up claims is, like, Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I talk to the spirits, and they tell me when an army patrol is, like, coming to get me, and then so we, we just move. And, you know, basically that's... I, yeah. like I, get, I get tips from them to, that allows me to stay one step ahead of the authorities, and they also say that, basically, he kind of goes into a trance at times, and they appoint, with the spirits' approval, they appoint, like, a secretary to sit next to Coney. When he goes into a trance state and starts rattling off things, whatever the spirits want them to know, and the guy feverishly writes all of it down, because when Coney snaps out of it, he doesn't remember what he said at all.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, kind of I mean, similar I think to that- Jason Russell. <laughs> yeah. I it, Yeah. It's like, uh, it, that's something that's very interesting to me about this. Like that is like the kind of clincher of what makes it so interesting because like the, the fact that he like became, and even described it in those terms of like demonic possession because, or, you know, some form of like possession or, or being transported or, uh, you know, taken up in some way. Like it's, uh yeah, it's fascinating. I think that, you know, I don't think it's SJ pilled fully because like, they're like an unreliable narrator, but like yeah. they're SJ pilled in a way because like, I don't like, uh, totally credit their representation of things and I think that they're like deeply sus in their own way. But, you know, yes. I think that like they are aware of like the uh like the esoteric or uh like re- well, I guess religious component of it. There's actually like uh on the tip of like Coney's spiritual like beliefs and like uh the his interaction with spirit beings, they're actually I found a uh I guess a document uh that the uh New York Times uh you know got oh, a hold yeah. of it looks like, you know, it's like really beaten up. Well, it has like coffee stains all over it. Like, yeah. uh, and, you know, this well, is also maybe. from. Yeah, this is this also has like a sus source. But I, you know, I, I apparently it lieutenant
4: was from, colonel Richard W. Skoe, an American defense attache. Yes, he did. Yeah. I guess a based on a series of this.
3: intensive interviews conducted in late 2005. But I think that it probably is reliable up to a point because there's like a you know strategic investment in this being reliable unless it's like disinfo but i don't know uh he i did a lot of
4: interviews for it and yeah yeah i i, I, I there's definitely let, some let's read some of
3: it. yeah because a lot of this is good you know they talk about like i mean all of it really is interesting you know he talks about the the yard which is uh the extremely important religious location uh, a sacred place referred to as a tent of the lord presence and god takes immediate action there It is the place where God emphasizes his power. It is demarcated usually by ash on the ground or by rocks, and sometimes more permanent yards are made by cutting branches from trees, planting them, and then the branches grow into trees, forming a boundary. A map of Uganda is always drawn on the ground of the yard and can vary in size. Some specific places and features of the Nile River, lakes, barracks, or strategic importance are depicted on the map. So this is very interesting. Coney directed that a half moon always be drawn on the map, but he did not specify why this was to be done. A big cross made of wood is planted in the middle of the map to symbolize the suffering of Uganda. Before entering the yard, everyone bathes. No blood was allowed uh, whatsoever in the yard uh, to include menstruating women and wounded fighters. No sex was allowed for personnel on duty in the yard, and they could not quarrel with anyone in order to keep their hearts clean. Only controllers and technicians on duty were allowed in the yard in addition to personnel attending some rite. If a controller violated any of the rules, he would die in battle that very day in a manner reflecting the type of violation committed. If you ate it of turn, you would be shot in the mouth or abdomen. If you had sex on duty, you'd be shot in the penis. And the woman involved would be hit in her sex organ. And uh, just to clarify the term controllers, um, that's like, Technicians. Yeah. What an
4: interesting terminology to use.
3: They were all people who were taught by Kony personally. And they're, yeah, like their main uh, controllers use water and shea oil and went forward to support battles. Technicians could perform controller duties, but also worked with a charcoal stove and other yard duties. So they're like kind of like religious uh, officials. But this is kind of the stuff that the yard has done in the past between 1987 and uh, 1996, uh, mm-hmm. you know, functions of the yard. Technicians would anoint people using shea butter oil or shear butter oil. Charcoal stoves were lit in the yard during battle. A technician would pour shear oil and herbs on the stoves. During combat, he would pray and sprinkle water mixed with shear butter on the stove. Uh, models of different weapon systems made of wire were put on the stove with caps in the muzzles of the guns made of iron. Each technician would divine from looking into the fire when LRA personnel were being hurt and by which type of gun. He would know which weapon system was the cause because the cap on the model gun would explode. So, yeah, very Hmm. interesting. Newly abducted people were taken to the yard. The controllers would pray for them, sprinkle water on them, mix with sheer butter oil, and also camouflage them with signs of the cross all over the body using a white power crushed from quote-unquote rotten rocks and mixed with sheer oil. The new recruits could not wash for three days after which the spirit of the Lord descended upon them. This would protect them from battle. I'm uh, sorry, in battle. If a person was HIV-positive, the crosses would fall off of his or her body in a day or less. HIV-infected persons had to go to the river and wash themselves in a stream or river three times. Coney personally prayed for the person and sometimes poured water over them. When the person left, the water they were instructed not to look back, And they left the area cured of HIV. So that, I guess, was a big inducement. Yeah. Yeah.
4: They showed that in the documentary where they take, when they kidnap the children, they use the shea butter thing to put crosses all over their body. And then it's washed. It's like a ritual process where then they're, like, able to receive the protection of Kony. Yes. in the spirits like after that it says here yeah. when people were possessed by the devil they were taken to the yard to be exercised yeah exactly and all so kinds of like medicine kind yeah, of things
3: like they don't see themselves as being satanic you know i think obviously there again it's a, a distinction between like the epistemological satanism like ontological satanism where like yeah this is like uh what they have done is like extremely evil and satanic in that sense but they don't self-define as like being satanic they see themselves as fighting for like god the 10 commandments right but what's really interesting is like the spirits that coney consorts with which all have Mm -hmm. very interestingly apparently like this movement of spirit mediumship that coney uh is involved in which started with a Alice what was the last name Yeah female
4: uh, uh, seer basically yes, let me see um, it was the holy was it the holy spirit movement right Yes yeah um, the holy spirit movement by Alice Alma
3: Yeah so she took a different name right uh uh, like a with an with an l am i anyway Alice yeah. Laquena. yeah right um yeah. i guess that was her spiritual teacher or someone yeah who she wanted to yeah. associate herself with and that, that
4: was the, in, the the person who kind of inspired Joseph Coney to kind of do his thing though yes. she always kind of distanced herself i think he claimed they were cousins But she was like, no, and, like, I don't like Kony. Typical
3: initiatory move to, like, claim (laughs) descent from someone, like, who might even disavow you. But anyway, an interesting feature of this movement is that a lot of the spirits have, like, English names or Anglicized names in some way. Like, the number Mm. one spirit uh, is Ariska DeBoer, chairman of spirits, uh, Ugandan. They all have ethnicities, too. Controlled all spiritual movement. Stated, Uganda must be ruled by the Ten Commandments. God has sent these spirits to come and rescue the Acholi people or finish them if they do not accept or believe in the spirits and God. Stated the LRA must treat or use a living thing like a living thing. A parenthesis, treat it fairly. Ordered the LRA not to torture anyone, including prisoners of war, but killing them is perfectly fine. If you tortured anyone, you would be punished for it before the Lord. Then Silly Salindi, also known as Malaya McKay, or Malia maybe? Uh, Yeah, Malia McKay. Yeah, Sudanese. Female. Chief Operational Commander. Key statement. McKay means military duty. The LRA's duty is to carry out military duties. Salindi stated the spirits would work with foolish, silly people, meaning people are too stupid and silly to know what the spirits mean, but the spirits will work with them anyway. Malia dictated many rules for the LRA to obey. Do not smoke. No sex except when allowed. Don't drink. When crossing the rivers, make the sign of the cross with water on your head and pray, water you are superior to me, have mercy on me. When a rock, make the sign of the cross. When on a rock, make the sign of the cross. But you are not allowed to stand on a rock since uh, 1986 because rocks made a covenant with uh, Lachwena, who we just mentioned, in assisting in passing judgment on people. Rocks are sometimes used as bombs and can explode. When fighting, if there is a rock nearby, make the sign of a cross and pray, Rock, you are superior to me. Have mercy upon me. Don't kill innocent people. Eh. The LRA yeah. should not bring too many women among them or they, or they as they will impair operations don't eat too much food, don't love food so much. You are not soldiers, rather teachers to teach God's message. Although you are few, your message will be known worldwide. Don't fear human beings but fear the Lord. Don't be ambitious, i.e. don't want to be a commander. Remember to pray three times a day. Yeah. Anyway, so don't. I just want to point out
4: Malia McKay. Uh, Yeah. It made me think of both like uh, McKay means military duty. It made me think of like, Mk uh, and it also made uh, me think of
3: yeah.
4: Mickey means military duty. Yeah, I was thinking like, Adam is there Mercy like any
3: other evil. like prominent Adam McKay uh, like who was involved? Adam McKay. Like, <laughs> any, yeah, I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah, but a uh, Scottish
4: uh, influence there. Yeah, yeah, not really sure. Um, yeah, the third one. Who are you? Yeah, as in simply who named. Are who you are, to are you, the Lord? Yeah, also known as Zinc Bricky. American male chief intelligence officer uh, informed Coney of errors among the LRA in charge of military courts martial, reported to Coney if the enemy was coming. Ah, so that's that's the spirit. The American intelligence officer is yes. the one who told uh known as could who predict are you aka Zinc Bricky. Um, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, yeah, in charge of military G- courts martial reported to Coney if enemy was coming, could predict the future, gave military situation reports, sit reps, predicted air attacks, told the LRI that even I love if they how had SA like, sevens.
3: Like just imagine like Colonel Richard W. Scow is like writing this, like you know, like he's conveying this information, like saying that they gave the spirit gave sit reps. You know, like it's interesting. Yeah. You know, like well, also
4: this, this is very bizarre. Uh, Who are you told the LRA that even if they had SA-7s, those are stinger missiles, or heavy machine guns, they would never succeed in destroying an aircraft because it belonged to him and the aircraft punished sinners. Uh, Whoa. Wait, the aircraft belonged to him, which like Uganda gets U.S. military assistance.
1: Mm, like yeah.
4: helicopters and stuff. And the aircraft, just like Jason Russell would want, the aircraft punishes sinners, right? Yes. Punishes uh, the bad man.
3: Then we have a Willing Hing Su, uh, who is Chinese and male. Uh, and he determined the duration of activities, when to start and when to stop, perform miracles in front of the enemy, such as making the UPDF see the LRA in the air and not in the ground, or make them see armored vehicles in the air. Huh. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. It make them. Yeah, imagine that there's an aircraft. Uh, you know, maybe an unmanned aircraft doesn't. Be, yeah, I don't know.
4: But it's a really international kind of motley crew of yes. like different uh, different nationalities. That's like what's King, interesting King and Bruce. about this. Yeah, yeah, um, King Bruce, another American male, controlled heavy weapons. You know, all the twelve point seven
3: millimeter uh, British eighty-two <laughs> millimeter recoilless AT rifle, like. Uh, it's so bizarre. Specific. Like the amount of detail. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah.
4: Um, During the time the LRA, I guess his main role was the quote, the stone bombs. During the time yeah. the LRA used stone bombs, they would pray to King Bruce, Lord, the power of the world rests upon you, King Bruce, take post in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they threw a stone, which would explode. Before combat, Coney stated he could see a cross on certain soldiers' foreheads, usually five or less personnel, and they would be given stone bombs to throw in battle. Normally, when a stone bomb bomb exploded in battle both the LRA and UPDF would retreat from the battle and then there's a Italian uh, yeah, okay this is weird Jacobo
3: a Jap with a, like a Japanese name uh, he uh, controlled
4: finance. Uh, I'm getting like Lichio Jelly vibes. I feel like Jabobo
3: is like an African name almost. Oh, uh, yeah. Jacob. Um. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like a Jake, Jacob. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
4: So, a uh, controlled finance and was a catechist and great teacher. Stated the LRA must not hide money gained from operations, since all the money had to go to the LRA treasurers. If someone kept money, they would die. And in fact, most of the LRA commanders are dead today because they kept money. If you send money home to relatives, it will cause problems in your home and everyone will be killed stated love your god with your heart and your strength and your soul if you love god as you love your wife you will not have to stay in the bush for long uh and then okay uh, then Dr. Sus- Salon, italian. The other,
3: another italian who's sus- male doctor. and controlled all medical surfaces. yeah uh <laughs> western as well as local told the lra to mix different herbs for different wounds and sicknesses directed doses of medicine would use technical names for medicines could cure barren people uh, Owara, a Ugandan from the West Nile, male, intelligence staff officer working for Who Are You, gave information and sit reps. Uh, Hawa, a Tanzanian, a male, worked with Willing Hung Su, kept hours of duties and worked miracles like Heng Su, stated if part of the food is ready, eat it and don't wait for the rest as you may miss it, meaning you might be attacked or otherwise interrupted before the rest of the food is ready to eat. Uh, Sinaska, an American, male, chief controller, pass LRA controller messages from the front to God, can control the weapons of the enemy. Uh, Major Bianchi, chief tech- technician, pass technician messages to God. Carlo uh, Rwanga, a Ugandan martyr, youngest of a group of Ugandans massacred by the Bangandan chief, Kikaba Malanga, for believing in Christ, burned alive. And there's another chief controller. And he says, note, initially the contributors of this work stated they were 13 spirits, but were unable to remember the 13th, and revised the number to only 12. Now the I assume that he means the Thirteenth Spirit has been confirmed and added as Ali Salongo, but he just Salongo maybe yeah. to
4: represent like the Lebanese expat connection. I don't know. Um, yeah, I feel like if if um, if Willing Hing Su, who's said to be Chinese, if he's actually Taiwanese, then this is basically like a roster of the World Anti Communist League. Basically, all these spirits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, it wouldn't. It would yeah. be strange if like a an actual mainland Chinese operative, uh, you know, was like working with all these like right wing people. But you know, Taiwan had a lot of different relationships in Africa, like in yeah, the seventies and the eighties. So
3: has China, especially. So was China, but China
4: yeah. was almost like China. Well, I know. Actually, no. China was quite involved. They were involved in the Angolan civil war and yeah. other conflicts like that. And there was even competition between the Soviets and the Chinese. That I think Uganda kind of got in the middle of at a certain yeah. point because they were sort of like, yeah, they were all sort of supporting different governments in different countries and all that stuff. But that is just so weird that they all have these very specific, like real world positions and they're all like intelligence officers. Yeah,
3: it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing that, like, it's very interesting how uh I mean, respect to him for like not being uh, epistemically chauvinist because this colonel is like, you know, just straight up describing them in, you know, very emic terms where he's like, you know, just he's not saying like they believe that the spirits tell them when the enemy will attack as like chief operations officer, you yeah. know, like well <laughs> yeah, like provide sit reps and yeah, like uh you he know, he um,
4: lists twenty-eight prophecies. I I'm not sure if he says Yeah. They all came true or not, but uh No, not
3: all of them uh came uh came true, but some of them did, I guess just because they were like Sudan Sudan will get peace first, then Uganda. Uh some people were criticizing America and the spirit said America would help end the war.
4: Yeah. (laughs) He says here about logistics, the only kind of reference to, like, somebody supporting them. He says Sudan provided most of the weapons and mostly ammunition, small arms rounds, RPG-7, 60-millimeter mortars, B-10 recoilless, SPG-9 rounds, freely to the LRA until November 2002, with the exception of two consignments that came later. Most logistical support from Sudan was provided from 1994 to 1999. Much of it was cached throughout southern Sudan and northern Uganda by a special squad. Today, LRA weapons consist of small arms and some RPG-7s. Most of the commanders that buried ammunition are now dead or have defected to the UPDF. Shea butter oil is moved in jerry cans, and every person is required to have a small bottle of it in his or her pocket. The butter oil in the beginning of the rebellion was thought to make you bulletproof— everyone also had to carry living water with them as well in a small bottle or around your neck or even as a small tube attached to your wrist. In heavy combat, the water may tell LRA personnel what to do. Now, that's interesting. I think living water is a reference, right, to the water from, like, the mountain near where Kony grew up that was supposed to be holy or have powers in it, right? Living
3: water, according to this, at least, maybe it is referring to that in particular, but... The distinction, according to him, is that uh, water that is like from a stream or river is living, and boiled oh, okay. water is dead and has oh. lost its original qualities. Huh. Yeah.
4: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, like obviously, I mean, you see there. The uh, the importance of, like, magical kind of amulets and, like, protective magic yes. is, like, very strong. But yeah. it's funny. And they're that- not,
3: like, blah, blah, I'm evil. Like, obviously, like, they've done, like, horrible, uh, you know, unforgivable things that are, like, abhorrent to, like, uh, you know, uh, like, religious morality. But it is interesting to see, like, how... Yeah, this is a uh, subliminal jihad, like in a way. You know, there. Uh, this is a it kind uh, of is. I mean, you have a like, spirit
4: who claims to be representing God, telling you that you can never torture people, but you can execute them. That's yeah, totally you fine. can't torture prisoners you know? of
3: wars, but you can execute them. Yeah, it's. I mean, a council of like. It's kind of like the nine in a way, but like. Uh, <laughs> in, uh, it really in, is in a, a war as environment, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting that like you know these are two. This is like a battle over, uh, like the say like uh, over god in a way like between you know and it's not just like africa or not just uganda but it's also like the americans have an interest in this or like also involved in this and it's inflected by the war on terror and all these other things yeah like their beliefs are the lra beliefs are obviously like you know more idiosyncratic and like we recognize the beliefs of like evangelical american christianity is like you know uh they're much more familiar to us
4: yes yeah, well, and but, probably and a I lot just, of Ugandans, but uh, I just, I, at this point. I, I, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to read this earlier. And since you brought up like eclectic, extreme uh, versions of Christianity, you know, I think we'd be remiss to like not elaborate on the family's particular take on Christianity. Uh, going back to the, the Jeff Charlotte interview from NPR, mm-hmm. you know, he talks about the how the, the family was sponsoring these congressional trips to various countries overseas. Like Tom Co- Senator Tom Coburn went to uh, Lebanon. Senator John Ensign would go to Jordan and Israel all the time. Mm-hmm. And Senator Inhofe went to his favorite country, Uganda. So Terry Gross was asking him about, like, uh, does the family pay for it, whatever? And I guess there was the 2007 Open Government Act, which was uh, passed in, like, response to the whole, that whole Jack Abramoff Mm -hmm. lobbying scandal. And so now there's a little more rules around like what you can pay for a congressman to like go overseas and stuff. So he says it's different than, you know, a corporate sponsored congressional trip or something because a corporation or most private groups, whether they be left or right, they don't deny that they exist. The family claims that there's no organization at all. The leader of the group, Doug Coe, says in a sermon that's now been posted online, fortunately, so you can hear it, says the more invisible you can make your organization, the more influence it (laughs) it will have. He loves that word, huh? Yeah. In fact, that's what led the group to reject the idea of formally registering as a lobby. The founder of the group said we can have more influence working behind the scenes if we don't register as a lobby, which is true, which is exactly why we have these laws that were strengthened by the 2007 Open Government Act. But beyond the secrecy of the organization, which is essentially strategic on their part, they're tactical on their part in thinking about how they can further the agenda, there's the question of the agenda itself. Now, for those who aren't familiar, this is a real doozy. And some of the, really the core rhetoric of the family is this idea that most of us misread the New Testament, that Christ's message, the bottom line of Christ's message, wasn't really about love or mercy or justice or forgiveness. It was about power. So Doug Coe, the leader of the group, tries to illustrate this, for instance, by saying, sort of posing a puzzle, Name three men in the 20th century who best understood that message of the New Testament. Oh, God. And most, Oh, my God. I the answer may going. shock you. Yeah. Uh, and most people are going to say someone like Martin Luther King or Bonhoeffer, or maybe they're more conservative. They're going to say Billy Graham. And Co. likes to give an answer. Hitler, Stalin, and Mao, <laughs> which just makes your jaw drop. And he will say, he's quick to say, these are evil men, but they understood power. And that message recurs again and again and again in the family. When I was at the C Street House, I sat in on a session between Doug Coe and Congressman T-Art of Kansas. And Coe was encouraging him to understand the message of Jesus by thinking about the model of power exemplified by Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot. There's so many examples of this. Damn, and I give Pol stuff, Pot, someone who everyone right? hates. Well,
3: like, I guess great Hitler US everyone backed, hates, uh, but Well, yeah. he, was,
4: he was backed by Kissinger, so... You know, um, there are so many examples of this, and I give several because I don't want people to think I'm cherry picking one bad choice of words. This is a core idea of the family. There's actually a video that NBC News found Co talking about the fellowship that he wants to model the things on is like that of the great friendship enjoyed by Hitler, Goebbels, and Himmler. What the- now? right? now he is not a neo-nazi this reminds what
3: me of like nick fuentes or something like what the hell like the great uh, everyone
4: remembers the great friendship between hitler goebbels and Himmler.
3: yeah exactly yeah um, friendship okay. goals um yeah. hitler <laughs> yeah okay
4: friendship ended with christ uh hitler goebbels and Himmler are my best friends now um, um so what yeah he the, says he says kind of really funny nuts. like i feel like i had he, read that at yeah. some
3: point but like blocked it out because it's so insane you can't even believe it it's like
4: yeah i've read that in the book that that is trippy that he yeah, says it's that too um, much yeah even though um, we just made an argument in like one of our last episodes that like stalin did embody the, the values of the new testament uh, well we i mean i understand onward, like in a very I mean, different way
3: well again like those people like all did actually have some kind of relationship with christianity like i wouldn't like hold them up as the exemplars of like how one should follow christ unless you're like you know i mean I would say Stalin and Mao are better than Hitler. Like almost, you know, I think he, like almost everyone is, if not everyone, he's kind of like the sort of stereotypical example of an evil person. So exactly. yeah, like the yeah. just to do that is like, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really honestly, like, again, like I think that the examples he gave of what the blue pill people would say, like Martin yeah. Luther King or whatever, like <laughs> are probably honestly better go-to examples, you know, like, uh, I mean, I'm not someone who would talk about this either way because I'm not, christian but you know yeah i mean to most christians this sounds
4: absolutely twisted and fucked up as it like what are you talking about
3: as it should yes and like Like, so yeah yeah these are like two like bizarre like groups like battling over yeah i mean even you see it with jason russell i mean i don't think jason russell like sees himself as part of this group, right, I think that he would be appalled by like a lot of what the family says, honestly, like he probably is like more of a Hillsong guy. And like, I think that there is a certain naivety yeah. or like guilelessness and not recognizing the actual like deep embedment of the two and like their similarity with each other.
4: It's possible, but I, I just, the the, the recurring uh, use of the word invisible in Doug Coe's language is kind of tripping me out right now. Uh, but, you know, maybe, invisible, although invisible, invisible, invisible children,
3: it will be more damning, I think, if like they were like the invisible network or something like, uh, but the children are supposed to be invisible. So like that's not really the same as like you being invisible. So it's like kind of like. Well, you know, aren't I they,
4: mean, don't you think followers of the fam- first of all, it's called colloquially the family and Doug Coe is the spiritual father so that all of his followers would be children and he well, always tells hmm, them that they need to be invisible Right, but the invisibility are not
3: the members, of, like not the people who like want to stop. Co- I mean, I guess they do. I'm just sitting the like, ribbon in our faces, folks. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's well, double
4: entendre. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like well, I it's mean, a double code.
3: Uh, all right. Visibility and invisibility are like big things. I mean, IYKYK. I think that, yeah, I think that there is like a, a sort of uh, entwinement that isn't addressed between like that, like the sort of like progressive strand of evangelicalism. I mean, like uh, what's his name? Did Sco speak at Liberty University? You know, yeah, like, I
4: watched a thing he gave at another Christian college where he very much sounded like it was kind of mask off, like in maybe 2016, where he taught he, he was talking like a Hillsong preacher and he was talking about yeah. God, God, God and like all this stuff. So it was like clear. He's like very much, you know, in that kind of milieu and, yeah, and stuff. And he just I he downplays that, it in like the mainstream kind oh, of yeah. press, like when he was no, around there. I'd, yeah. yeah,
3: he's a self-conscious Hillsong guy. But I think that there is like sort of a like a false consciousness, like partition between Hillsong people and thinking that they're the dominionist like family type people, even though like there is, especially in the case of Coney 2012, like a, a straight up direct overlap between their goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
4: so I, yeah, I just want to read the, uh, a little bit more from this interview because yeah, after right. he dropped that banger that, you know, he wants to model his fellowship on the great friendship enjoyed by Hitler, Goebbels and Himmler he does say, like, now he's not a neo-Nazi. Slightly de- debatable. But
3: mm-hmm. what he's
4: doing there is he's fetishizing strength. He is not looking to democracy, but this model of absolute strength. And that leads the family into relationships with men like Museveni in Uganda. Before him... Their key man in Africa was a guy named Siad Bar of Somalia, for whom Chuck Grassley became a kind of de facto lobbyist as the U.S. pumped up his military, which he then used to absolutely destroy his country to such an effect that Somalia has never recovered and today is a haven for Al Qaeda, for terrorism, for piracy. It's a lawless nation. The family says that's part of God's plan. Yikes. Wow. So, wasn't Siad Bar kind of a Marxist, but then did he get seduced? In the late 80s as well to get throw in his lot with the the Americans and the family. And then that led to like the collapse of Somalia, which is God's plan. They're like psyched about it. They love it. I don't know. But Uh, he he mentions because there were sex scandals kind of swirling around them. I forget exactly who was a member who got popped for like sex scandals. But he says that. The, this hard Christian right magazine, World Magazine, you know, looked into some of the rumors about the family He says, they did one of the best investigative reports. They confirmed the overseas travel. They confirmed the strange theology of seeking out dictators. They went further than I had in looking at some of the financial connections that don't seem to quite add up, the policy of secrecy and so on. And this is coming from a Christian right source. And I think what that does is it moves the whole conversation out of the old left-right debate and moves it to where it should be into the public square where we're talking about transparency. We're talking about accountability We're talking about politicians taking responsibility for the ideas that shape them and so on. So there's a lot of susness kind of going on there. And yeah, Uganda is kind of ground zero for them. It is their exemplary super Christian nation. And Mm -hmm. as Charlotte mentioned earlier, like a lot of people do kind of remember the controversy over like the anti-gay bills in the Mm -hmm. early 2010s which is funny because it's like that was going on almost the exact same time that coney 2012 came out Mm -hmm. and it was like totally ignoring any criticisms you could make of the ugandan government and their kind of anti-gay stuff you know which might track with them because the family was like heavily influencing the government that's where god talk about old internet memes it, you mentioned it, the eat the poo poo um, yeah, right. video that went yeah. viral. That was from mm. Uganda, where yes, a pastor exactly. was yeah. saying the you know homosexuals they eat the poo poo yes. and blah blah blah. And I guess Museveni was saying stuff like Europeans are like coming to Uganda and making Ugandans gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just an interesting take. I mean, um, he was the, was I the mean, original like Orbán like, notion. you know. Yeah.
3: Uh I think yeah, it's a more popular notion than you think, I think, you know, uh even yeah, pre-Orbán. Um Yeah,
4: so that got liberals to kind of tisk tisk Uganda yeah. more than any other atrocity exactly. or abuse yeah. they would have committed. That's like is- the one thing that
3: people bring up the most about this, even though like it was really yeah, like uh, geopolitically fucked up and like getting into bed with like, you know, an awful abusive regime, but whatever.
2: The military people told us stories of times when he was more or less surrounded, and they don't know how he escaped. This war, to me, is not a conventional war. It has a lot of spiritual aspect. It became evident that there was a very strong witchcraft involved. The spiritual foundation of this war was very clearly demonic. This is not an ordinary war, it is the devil, it is Satan out to finish the Acholis. The extent of the destruction done by the rebels cannot be manmade. There is something evil in it.
0: Many former rebels confirmed the LRA's reliance on witchcraft. One of them, Air Force Brigadier Kenneth Banya reports that spirit voices Routinely informed Kony of government raids. Then he would predict when the enemy is coming. And he would tell
2: you the number of the enemies. The uh, and they exactly come. the way he would tell us that the soldiers are coming is the way they would come.
0: So we knew everything. Kony's prophetic powers greatly enhanced his mystique.
2: Why should he know all this thing?
0: Where is that power which he is using?
2: Where is it from?
0: LRA camps are more akin to occult sanctuaries than traditional military staging grounds. There's something they call Lodi, which you was, know, if you understand what they're actually doing, they were calling demons coming to the, into the
1: people.
0: Kony himself reports to a council of eight spirits and employs everything from reptiles to sacred water to summon their power. But the spirit in him is the overall leader
2: going up as a cult leader spiritually in the name of god and you find that really people get taken up and they believe that uh, these evil spirits have got power and, and they, they believe that coin has had such uh, spirit they believe only in him it is because when you get abducted you immediately get anointed, and through that, there is that strong allegiance and commitment, and love, and
0: passion you have to Him. LRA abductees are told that oil can cure them from any disease, and that sacred water can remove all sin. They're completely with spring water until you are completely wet. With their recruits duly cleansed of sin, The controllers begin to mix white clay with shea nut oil. And put cross
2: Crosses all over your body
0: and your back and your forehead, everywhere. The children are instructed not to wash for three days. After three days, they take you to the river now to wash. Having been made holy, the abductees are now ready to hear from the spirits. When the spirits want to talk, Joseph Kony becomes their mouthpiece. Then
2: suddenly,
0: you will see him like
2: this, and then the eyes will change. Then the spirit will start to talk. When he has finished talking, you will not know what the spirit has said. But there will always be a second that secretary is always appointed
4: by the spirit. We're back.
3: Yeah, just to, like, I mean, I feel like uh, we alluded to, like, the kind of complicity between Invisible Children and the Ugandan government, which, you know, has committed, like, incredible atrocities under the uh, banner of sort of, like, chasing down Kony. Um there's an interesting uh, German documentary. Um, I think it was originally German, but you can find it on YouTube, like kind of dubbed in English called A U.S. Crusade in Africa. Uh, it makes certain like insinuations that, uh, you know, some people might dispute, but they don't necessarily come from the documentarians themselves. Like uh, there's they talk to one like opposition leader uh, who or opposition member, at least, who uh, speculates that. He says, like, in his own words, like, Kony was a creation of the Ugandan government. You know, they created him to, like, destroy the other rebel groups. Like, they stamped out all the other rebel groups and left Kony because they were, like, more respectable. And they cared about human rights. They, you know, uh, they were better. And Kony is to their advantage to have because, you know, they can use this sort of narrative, blah, blah, blah. So classic kind of, like... False flags.
4: Reminds me of yeah. ISIS a little bit. Yes. Like they're just, they're such sickos that everyone has to unite to like stop yeah. them. Like in Iraq, for example. It's a
3: classic uh, idea, but you know, narrative. But I think that, you know, there may be some truth to it. Maybe not like, uh, certainly with respect to like Invisible Children and like another angle on their kind of complicity with the Ugandan military, like on that front, which you know, again, that documentary, I mean, you, you even like we were criticizing Human Rights Watch earlier, but uh, to their credit, they did actually acknowledge like all of the the awful uh, abuses that the uganda military committed which basically mirror point for point everything that can be ascribed to coney for you know almost mm-hmm. if not entirely using child soldiers like rape uh, everything that you could uh, imagine but this is like a particularly galling instance of that uh, sort of embedment of invisible children and their kind of uh, entanglement with The Ugandan military and sort of touches on this idea of like uh, the sort of suppression of other resistance groups. There is a guy named Kamakesh, Patrick Kamakesh, I guess is his name. And he actually formerly worked for Invisible Children. He was a former child soldier who was abducted by the LRA when he was nine. He, you know, eventually became Kony's sort of bodyguard. And he eventually, you know, worked with Invisible Children for a while. They uh, apparently supported him in, quote, his personal recovery and academic development. But a while later, I guess he started to maybe coordinate with a, another resistance group called the PPF, like the People's Patriotic Front. There's a U.S. cable that I think WikiLeaks uh, came out with or sort of uncovered that talks about how, I guess I just read the cable here. The U.S. cable says of Kamakech's arrest... The latest plot was exposed when the government received a tip from the U.S. non-governmental organization Invisible Children regarding the location of Patrick Komakesh. Invisible Children reported that Komakesh had been in Nairobi and recently appeared in Gulu, where he was staying with the NGO. Security organizations jumped on the tip and immediately arrested Komakesh on March 5th. He had a satellite telephone and other gadgets which were confiscated when security forces picked him up. So basically, this guy like was their employee, but then he went to go form like a different rebel group and they totally rolled on him. This cable, which was signed by the ambassador Stephen Browning and titled Games the Actual Diaspora Continued to Play, you know, is basically concerned with the idea that this new resistance group would try to overthrow Museveni. So it doesn't really seem to have anything to do with like the actual conduct of the group or anything like that, but simply, like, the fact that they're resisting the government, and Invisible Children just completely snitched on him when they actually, like, had previously (laughs) sponsored him.
4: Yeah, it's... (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. When did that happen?
3: Let me see. When uh, the cable was sent on June 11th, 2009, and released in 2011.
4: Interesting. So they have... uh, They've been... Yeah, I guess they started in two thousand
3: four, so they've been like involved in that area for a while.
4: Yeah, two thousand three was when they made their little trip. Yeah. And then once again, going through all this stuff about the, the Christian background of like Jason Russell, it's very hard to believe that he just sort of randomly he says that like he almost got like attacked by the LRA, like, they bombed a road, like, in front of him when he was, like, traveling around and was like, who are these guys? And they're like, they're child soldiers. And, he's like, what? <laughs> Whoa. and he, like, discovered it all by accident. Yeah, but no, I
3: don't believe that, that, just that at feels all.
4: Like, as naive as he comes off, it, it seems a little bit No,
3: I definitely don't too believe that, random. Uh, for sure, that, like, Uganda was chosen coincidentally. I don't think so. It's, like, you know, just a common location for mission work, and I think that there always was this mission component to like the quote-unquote film that he was making absolutely but yeah just to you know we can move on uh topics but i did want to touch on uh the sort of sudanese connection which again uh karen norris brings up which kind of talks about the sort of uh usefulness of of coney in a way and as she quotes uh branch i won't look at the paper because it's uh um might take too long but uh, i'll just read this quote from her directly as branch explains in his expose of the harmful effects of aid in northern uganda agencies found it convenient to cooperate openly with the government's counterinsurgency to the point of enabling its policy of mass force displacement and internment which itself resulted in the humanitarian crisis similarly john perkins cites a hard-hitting critique of the aid programs during the lra conflict to support his thesis that the maintenance of poverty in africa ultimately benefits aid organizations this critique written by an aid worker claims aid organizations Prolong the conflict simply by being there. As long as the situation is considered an emergency, donors will continue funding activities. Though the situation is worse after decades of Western involvement and billions of, aid, uh, billions of dollars of aid money. The U.S. has manipulated geopolitical relations in efforts to secure access to lucrative oil reserves and to stunt the growth of transnational terrorist organizations both before 9-11 and after the declaration of the War on Terror. Furthermore, continued support for the SPLA throughout the independence movement and participation in the negotiation process of South Sudanese independence has cemented American influence in the conflict, the portrayal of which, several scholars suggest, was manipulated to justify American intervention. The long-standing alliance between America and the South Sudanese rebels, from its inception as part of the Ugandan-Sudanese proxy war to its participation in anti-LRA efforts with the SPLA, reflects the consistency of the U.S.-Ugandan alliance as a regional ally in the War on Terror but may also be indicative of American interest in South Sudanese oil, which made up 98% uh, of the country's revenue as of 2011. Uh, Yeah. Just worth noting, I think.
4: Yeah. I also, the the one video that I watched about uh, mentioned, I hadn't been aware of this, but um, there was something, because, you know, George Clooney pops up in Coney 2012, Mm -hmm. and he was all about the whole Sudan, South Sudan conflict. but. As somebody had mentioned in 2010, he founded something called the Satellite Sentinel Project, cool. which was it was conceived with George Clooney and Enough Project co-founder John Prendergast, who also was in Coney mm-hmm. 2012 during their October 2010 visit to South Sudan. Through the use of satellite imagery, SSP provides an early warning system to deter mass atrocities in a given situation by focusing world attention and generating rapid responses to human rights and human security concerns taking place in that situation. And it's funny, their their slogan is, the world is watching because you are watching.
3: Wow. Wow. <laughs>
4: Uh, like, what's this all about? Um, like, using satellite imagery to, like, track different conflicts awesome. in it's Africa. That's good. Sucks. I can't see um, that
3: backfiring at all or being used for anything but the most upstanding purpose. Uh, it seems <laughs> awesome. Right? Yeah.
4: Interesting, too. Like, the early warning system kind of thing is very... It's a very similar concept to what Invisible Children did with their, like, radio network. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then... I did find, yeah, since we're on this topic, I did find there was an interesting article in Foreign Policy magazine from 2017, which is kind of a, a, a invisible children critical sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it was called "Coney 2017, from guerrilla marketing to guerrilla warfare. Yeah. So this, this journalist, uh, let me see, yeah, David uh, David Galvi Herbert traveled, you know, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo to meet with like the NGO people that were still on the ground. Cause it kind of Invisible Children went through a kind of like restructuring mm-hmm. in 2014, I think, when they kind of run out ran out of that Coney 2012 money. Mm-hmm and they kind of shut down all their operations like in America but then they a, a version of them carried on in central Africa and so that's what this guy's checking in on and it's basically what they still do is like they run this like radio network in these very rural regions um, i think he's in Dungu mm-hmm. and what he kind of d- discovers is that Invisible Children has almost been, like, enlisted as, like, an intelligence arm of the military operations that are going on in the region Mm -hmm. to, like, target the LRA. It also mentions that around, uh, kind of around in this era of of Invisible Children, that there is, they got a lot of support from the CEO of something called the Bridgeway Foundation, Mm -hmm. Which is the charitable arm of a Houston, Texas hedge fund that donates half of its after tax profits to organizations working to end genocide. And that CEO is Shannon Sedgwick Davis. I, I don't I looked into her a little bit. That name Sedgwick, given what we've been covering lately, mm-hmm. jumps the fuck yeah, out at me okay. because remember like <laughs> right. E. D. Sedgwick mm-hmm. of the Warhol scene was from this like Sedgwick is, like, an old New England. That's, like, a Mayflower family, basically. Yeah. So I don't know what's up with Shannon Sedgwick Davis, but she's very all about ending genocide all around the world with her profits from her he- from her hedge fund. And so they became, like, Bridgeway became, like, a huge funder, and she got, like, directly involved in kind of directing the operations of Invisible Children uh, post Coney 2012. So I guess she had... Heard heard about. There was a massacre in northeastern Congo in December 2009 where the LRA killed at least 321 civilians and abducted 250 others, including 80 children. It was a really brutal, like uh, horrible massacre. And then eventually Shannon Sedgwick Davis heard about it because Human Rights Watch wrote a report. So she asked what her foundation could do to help combat the LRA. Two things kept coming up, Davis said of her conversation with Sawyer and later consultations with State Department officials. <laughs> Better quote communications and training for soldiers and civilians on the front lines. She set to work improving both. Davis says that she and Laren Poole, one of the co-founders of Invisible Children, which she persuaded to take over and exist uh, to take over an existing radio network run by a Catholic priest had become, quote, aligned in thinking that our more traditional approaches to the LRA were not having the results we had hoped. Davis initially bankrolled Invisible Children's radio network as a village-to-village warning system, but it quickly began doubling as an intelligence arm for the UPDF and its partners. Bridgeway gave Invisible Children grants totaling $135,000 to get the network off the ground. By March 2010, Bridgeway... Oh, so this is actually before Coney 2020. March 2010... Bridgeway was also financing what increasingly looked like a private war against the LRA, and Invisible Children's fingerprints were evident on these more overtly militaristic initiatives as well. When Davis began searching for military... This is wild, by (laughs) the way. When Davis began searching for military contractors to train Ugandan troops hunting for Kony, Poole put forward the name of Eben Barlow, a veteran of the Civil Cooperation Bureau, South Africa's apartheid-era covert Damn. government military unit that carried out assassinations. Huh. <laughs> after the end, yeah, and this guy, I've heard, I've seen him pop up before in, well, Sierra Leone, but it says here, after the end of apartheid, Barlow had earned some renown as founder of the private military contractor Executive Outcomes, which fought in civil wars in Sierra Leone and Angola and was fictionalized in the 2006 film Blood Diamond. Davis hit it off with Barlow, and between March 11, March 2011, and January 2012, his new company, StTEP International, trained hundreds of Ugandan troops. To help the UPDF chase Coney across the rugged Central African bush, Davis also contracted with a private air transit company to provide the Ugandans with a bush plane and Bell helicopter for their exclusive use. Do not shoot down the (laughs) aircraft where they belong to me. And they punish sinners. Uh, Even after President Barack Obama ordered roughly 100 American military advisors and air support to the region in October 2011, Ugandan military officers told me they still preferred Bridgeway's plane and helicopter, which required no waiting period or oversight. Bridgeway spent roughly $12 million on its counter LRA programs between 2010 and 2015, Davis told me, adding that it was the first time she had publicly stated that figure. To manage the network, Invisible Children hired Camille-Marie Renault from France and Pauline Zerla, a Belgian with a family connection to the region. Her mother was born in Leopoldville, now Kinshasa, to a bureaucrat in the Belgian Congo colonial administration. So they got some like Damn, descendants okay. of colonizers. <laughs> Very cool. So Marie-Rénaud... And Zerla, 26 and 30 years old, are upbeat and tireless when we meet, often working 14-hour days in the field. Zerla, in particular, exudes a bubbly naivete that might seem familiar to Invisible Children's critics. As we drove along the dangerous Route 4 qua, route from the Congolese border to Dungu, our, our SUV became stuck in a three-foot-deep pool of mud. The enormous Invisible Children decal remained visible on the truck's hood as we spun our wheels in vain. I asked what would happen if the LRA came upon us now. I've always wondered about that, (laughs) Zerla said, and then cried in a sing-song voice, they will defect and we will take them home. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) A bunch of fucking Disney adults running around Africa. Oh, my God. Oh Yeah, Zerla and Marie Ragnol. Oh, okay. Yeah. They have worked hard to increase cooperation with troops working to rout the LRA from the region, which by the time the two were hired in 2014, included Ugandan and Congolese soldiers, UN peacekeepers, and US military advisors. The nonprofit's alliance with the US military in particular is extraordinary. Invisible children's staff meet frequently with AFRICOM leaders in Dungu. Mm-hmm. Sean Poole, the director of programs at the NGO, no relation to Laren, has traveled to Stuttgart, Germany, where AFRICOM is based. When we first spoke last April, Sean had just met with American military advisors in the Central African Republic who told him that more than 70% of their LRA intelligence came from Invisible Children's early warning network. AFRICOM officers have asked to tune into daily calls directly. Invisible Children has refused, though it would not be difficult for the U.S. military or anyone else to listen in anyway. Several of the NGO's employees bristled when I called their work intelligence gathering. They noted that in addition to aiding the military effort, the radio network warns villagers about recent violence in their areas and helps keep American policymakers focused on the LRA by gathering data that highlights the rebel group's continuing threat. An AFRICOM spokesman declined to speak with me during my visit to Dungu. I had more luck with Lieutenant Colonel Islam Arif. A Bangladeshi officer tasked at the time to the UN Peacekeeping Mission's Joint Intelligence and Operations Center when I arrived unannounced at his air-conditioned trailer at the UN airbase, mm-hmm. RF explained that the early warning network is integral to his intelligence gathering. Invisible Children is the only NGO invited to his weekly intelligence wow. meetings. <laughs> wow, right? <clears throat> he says, with, quote, with Invisible Children, we are and made a fist with his hand. Oh, my God. (laughs) JIOC collaborates with AFRICOM and the Ugandan and Congolese troops hunting Kony. As our interview wrapped up, Marie Ragnon entered the office, and RF gave her a double-cheek kiss. Wow. The military alliance is just as tight across the border in Oboe, an even more remote settlement in the CAR, that is essentially a three-mile dirt road connecting the Ugandan military base on one end and the AFRICOM and UN bases on the other. Between 2011 and 2014, U.S. warplanes based in Oboe airdropped defection pamphlets over the Central African savannah with come-home messages designed by invisible children, according to Sean Poole. He added that the majority of the NGO's leaflet airdrops were done independently from the U.S. military. Invisible Children's Compound sits beside a shanty town of crude huts that has Ugandan troops. At night, the front yard glows with the far- smartphone screens of soldiers trying to poach their wireless internet. Wow. So, yeah, they're very enmeshed. They see nothing remarkable about their military cooperation, but its approach contrasts it's sharply with other nonprofits piece. in the region. Yeah, yeah right. right? Well, they say other, other NGOs don't do this. Yeah, in uh, fact, I said, think it's, you know, like, for-
3: not legal. Are like, not supposed to be what NGOs do. It's like a violation of, like, maybe it depends guidelines. on the country. I don't know. Yeah. But
4: you know, you know how the US is with their yeah, NGOs. Yeah, I know. But still. Yeah. So, yeah, it gives us an example Catholic release. Catholic Relief Services, based in Baltimore, runs a parallel network of nearly 100 radios in the region. Like Invisible Children, CRS conducts twice daily calls with villages in its network. CRS, however, does not share its data directly with the U.S. military because they're, like, not evangelicals. Um, They said, quote, uh, we will not expose the communities to the risk of being perceived to be collaborating with the military, said Michael Stuhlman, a Senegal-based press officer for the nonprofit. And the American Red Cross has long set the industry standard for independence from armed actors. You know, while they work with everybody, they enforce a policy of neutrality in war zones in order to continue to enjoy the confidence of all. We may not take sides in hostilities, but the NGO military firewall has cracked in recent <laughs> years with several humanitarian espionage operations directed and funded by the US government coming to light. Espionage,
3: yes, very important. That really is, yeah,
4: yeah he, it really is like a good term for it. In 2015, for instance, The Intercept revealed the Pentagon had long used an evangelical Christian NGO to spy inside North Korea. Mm. Oh. Uh, but the case wild, of Invisible Children... but they
3: children. suppress Christi- How dare they? How dare they? Yeah, right? They? Like, how did, how did they get yeah. in
4: if North Korea hates Christianity so much? You know? Uh, wow. Know.
3: But, yeah, it's so awful, like, how they persecute any... You're not allowed to Yeah, so... Sh-
4: uh, yeah, So Sean Poole, the director of programs for Invisible Children, pushes back hard against the notion that Invisible Children was central to Bridgeway's controversial military effort. In an email, he noted that of the $9 million Invisible Children has spent on the early warning network, only about 5% has come from Bridgeway, but the two organizations are linked by more than just financing. Not only did Invisible Children's co-founders suggest that Bridgeway hire Ibn Barlow's mercenary outfit to train the UPDF. Laren Poole later traveled with Davis and Barlow to Kampala to meet with the Ugandan general to close the deal. Later, he took a job at Bridgeway to help coordinate the effort. Adam Fink, another longtime Invisible Children employee who remains on the board, joined Bridgeway in 2014 to coordinate an LRA defection messaging program that included airdropping pamphlets over Central Africa. He goes on to say they're cooperating with these armed actors who are like using their intelligence network to like coordinate, you know, strikes and things like that. And uh, But they're also going after, like, poachers and shit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, he also noticed that this is kind of creepy. Because he he talks about how all these people insist that operating this way doesn't threaten them in any way from the LRA. Mm -hmm. That, you know, even though all the other NGOs say, we don't want to put these local communities at risk by making them seem like they're working with the military, Mm -hmm. Invisible Children's like, no, that's not a problem. So... (laughs) Uh, the, he says, the men and women who volunteer as operators are a diverse lot, from Baudouin, a Balding ex Park ranger, to Amboise, a curious 23 year old, you know, blah, blah, blah. He grum, you know, grumbled about the lack of pay from Invisible Children, but he likes that the job broadens his horizons. Whatever their complaints, volunteer operators, and indeed many Congolese in this neglected region, are grateful to Invisible Children for providing connectivity in a corner of the country almost devoid of social services but I sensed that operators were only partially aware of the risks that, risk they were running by becoming veritable intelligence operatives. Quote, uh, There's a very clear pattern of the LRA targeting civilians collaborating with security forces, said Matthew Green, author of Wizard of the Nile, a 2008 book on the LRA, who briefly met Kony during the failed peace talks in 2006, and that vengeance comes in the form of mutilations and killings. I think he is the journalist that interviewed coney in that video that's like the rare interview with coney mm-hmm. from 2006 and uh wrote his book we didn't get to read it but it has a lot about his like magical beliefs but th- this is kind of sus invisible children clothes its operators and t-shirts the a logo a handset surrounded by emanating radio waves emblazoned on the chest the longer i stared at it the more it resembled a bullseye. No. Uh, no, no. So yeah, yeah. Even though they claim the uh, Zerla and Marie Reynon, you know, the managers insisted that the operators are not in danger. The radio frequencies are secret, and they have code words and security protocols and blah blah blah. But he hears a bunch of stories of like basically how it's like incredibly easy to like figure out what their radio frequency yeah. is and like listen in on them. You know, so probably Kony is like if he's alive, is, like, sitting around just, like, listening to these people. And there were incidents of the LRA showing up and attacking people who had reported on the radio that there was an attack mm-hmm. happening. And, you know, uh, Invisible Children just kind of, you know, brushes it off. Yeah, it does say, yeah, last year community liaison for the CRS Radio Network was murdered by the LRA. But Zerla said that there will always be risks. You know, yeah. so not a big deal. And I guess uh, he asked Zerla about her relationship with the U.S. and Ugandan militaries a few hours after we crossed the Congolese frontier. You don't ask that many questions because you don't need to know, she told me cheerfully. A week later, I pressed her again on this point. We were eating lunch on the terrace behind Invisible Children's offices in Oboe. I asked if she was comfortable being in the dark about how military commanders used the intelligence she provided. Quote, to me, we don't help the U.S. military or the UPTF. We help the mission, she said, meaning the shared goal of countering the LRA. Anything that would hurt someone, we don't share. But since Invisible Children doesn't know exactly how the information is being used, isn't it possible that someone could get hurt, I asked? I think it's possible, (laughs) she replied, drawing out the middle of the word. She became increasingly frustrated with my questions, began to punctuate her answers with, do you understand? And a patronizing squint, as if I were a particularly dense student failing to grasp a simple math problem. I continued to ask probing questions, and she became so agitated that she stood up from the table, walked over, and loomed above me. Invisible children is the LRA, she said. That's what we do. That's the only thing we do. She glowered at me and added, I have to go to work now. Interesting. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. Right. What? It's the don't like LRA. What? Is, why? That's, yeah, yeah right? what an interesting that's,
3: statement. Um, okay.
4: Really interesting statement. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Not super well yeah. thought yeah. out. So,
4: okay. you know, at the, at the writing of this article, basically, you know, in 2017, it says, you know, basically things are winding down and they're going to leave this radio network kind of in place. But probably Invisible Children's gonna like fade into the ether, and so there'll be this radio network warning people, but like not being able to send help or do anything. It'll be like this ghost network Uh. essentially, uh, because it it predicted that you know Donald Trump, uh, coming into the Oval Office, I guess we were spending a hundred million dollars a year in our anti-Coney advisory effort, but. After the election, the president-elect's transition team circulated a four-page list of Africa-related questions around the State Department. "Quote: The LRA has never attacked U.S. interests. Instead. Why do we care? Is it worth the huge cash outlays?" Uh, yeah, com- <laughs> you don't understand the true satanic nature of our foreign policy, um, bro. Like, it, you dummy. Like that—that's that, what yeah. you know. I think that—that that is the subtext of like. Wasn't also, it's funny on, like, that he thinks plot. that they
3: were actually trying to get the LRA.
4: That's what I mean. He's kind of a mark at the end of the day. Like he doesn't get yeah. that. Oh, like this is all a cynical ploy I mean, to do something. If he in fact so. wrote
3: that, and it wasn't just like if someone he who he said, like you know. uh, Well, you either really think that somebody money, like, who you know, get out of everywhere where you are wasting their money. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, uh,
4: it's funny that, I mean, I don't know if he reversed that or if that ended up kind of happening because you would think that since he made those kind of overtures to like the evangelical community that he would have had like James Inhofe and like, you know, Sam Bragg yeah, and all that. these people rushing into his office being like, sir, you don't understand. Like, yeah, it's so important and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, but I guess, you know, things have dialed down, though, you know, they, they are still announcing rewards for him. And I think there may still be, if there aren't advisors in Uganda, they're kind of all over the place now in Africa. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the, the AFRICOM has infested the entire continent. Mm-hmm. And. Um,
2: yeah, for 22 years, Nebu's the bush, Kony has been using, using witchcraft. He could use witchcraft to fight the soldiers. Konya could, could command the beast to fight with the, the, the army, the, the government, with the army government. So it was hard for Konya to fight. For the government to fight coin. There are times when people go, they could set them in ambush. When they are in ambush, he command the beast to fight the soldiers. Fight. The, the beast, yeah, they, they could command the beast so There's no way where they could fight. Sometimes there's too, there's heavy rain. You could command just rain, with a storm. where no one could stand around and then you could kill many soldiers, something like that. And after some time, when they left, when they moved to to, to Congo, to Sudan side, Congo, Sudan there. The, the government sent soldiers to a certain mountain called Aliyak. So from that mountain, the water, there was a the water there they used as a source of their power. So this water was purely blood, the real blood. So that's where they used to get the source of power, they, they drink that water. So the blood... And, and they bury people, the people's there, people's there, they cut people's head. most people they are buried down there so that they get power, so because they were doing witchcraft. And all the demons, all the demons, they do all the sacrifice from that place, but when the government took over that place, the born-again Christian, most Christians who are in Uganda here, they went there for prayers. And when they went there, they found those kind of skulls. People's age where they had buried down there and they removed them. And then the water, they even the water even dried up, dried down from there. And from that very moment after now, their source of power. They became so weak. Is that just when Carney started getting Yeah, the that's, that's way, why he began up. from that cell, his own place. That's his own his own village. And that's that's that one. one started fighting with just yes, Olive. when he was a young a young a young boy. He used to ambush people with stone, children from school. When he was young, he could ambush them with, with a stone. He could run ahead of children, people getting out from school at five, pupils from five in the evening. For him, he ran ahead and ambushed people. So they they, they, they say that. The first person he got a gun. He got only one gun. One time there was a soldier who went back for the leave. So for him he had a he had a stone and he hit this man from the head. So when they hit this guy from the head, he got one gun, only one gun. He went with only one gun to push. So he used that one gun to recruit many people. And from there he had the power from demons. So demon could use him. So when some when people try to follow him, he could kill many people and they that's how they get, They began getting yeah. many, many guns. So even from that time, even they could kill government soldiers, and that's how they could begin. That's how we began getting guns. After now, and now, right now, it's wicked. It has been wicked. It's weak now, not like those days yeah. where it used to be so strong, where it caused many people to stay in the camp, people died in the camp. They could kill even 300 people in one
1: day
2: in the camp. But these days, they fear. They don't. They don't come this side. Right now, they so they come come and Sudan there. So where was the um? Water that turned to blood, where was that gulo? It was the water in the gulo in Adiyaki, northern Uganda, and that was his home. That's his own place. And when the Christians came in and prayed, removed the scars, yeah, they prayed and they removed those things, and there his power again became down. His power became weakened, (laughs) and that's when he left Uganda. Yeah, that's when he had to leave Uganda completely. Oh, yeah, interesting. No, that's now right now is Congo, but even in Congo, is not very strong like the way it used to be in Uganda. Yeah. Because those days he could fight witchcraft was so heavy on him, but right now his demons are not fighting well. <laughs> God has taken over everything, I believe that. Because he's too weak. He's just running. Actually, all the time he's
4: just running. Yeah. He's just on the run all the time. Oh yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to circle back to before I forget was in that probably crypto family finance documentary from 2006, uh, An Unconventional War. It brought up a very interesting issue, which I feel like it, it puts the whole Coney thing in kind of an interesting light on a bunch of different levels. But they talk about this thing called Operation Gideon, which is kind of like the centerpiece of the whole movie. This is like about how a bunch of awesome Christians (laughs) in Uganda united to take down Kony's, you know, satanic resistance army. And so operation Gideon, but like, I I found some other videos that I think were from like different projects of like kind of regular Ugandans, just like telling the story about how Kony was finally defeated kind of around like 2005, 2006 Mm -hmm. and around the time this movie came out. And, What they basically describe is like straight up like magical spiritual warfare Mm. and like memetic warfare, basically. So in a funny kind of way, if you believe their telling of it, like Ugandan people themselves memed Kony out of existence, you know, back in 2006, like way before Kony 2012 and you know this was almost uh yeah you know, I maybe cony 2012 wasn't as original
3: i have a feeling that operation gideon is like a name that was coined by like the documentarians I have a feeling I might be wrong
4: I'm not sure yeah it seems well like- well because Museveni is in the family so like yeah, it, would it would he not call it operation Gideon but I don't know. okay so yeah. but but I think this is actually fascinating because you know they talk a lot about the you know ritualistic practices of Coney and how he gets help from these spirits who are all like American intelligence officers <laughs> But, you know, putting that aside, and particularly that he had, you know, I think I, I said this mountain that had water, and one guy I watched described it as when Coney would go up there and, like, do rituals, the water would turn to blood, and, like, he would drink the blood, and it would, like, supercharge him again, and then he would be able to basically, com- you know, uh, do these incredible feats, like, always slip away from the enemy and, like, be undetectable and, like, always win and, like, frustrate the military, etc. So what the movie goes on to explain is like, finally, they'd been, Museveni had been dealing with this Coney problem for years and years and years. And everybody knew that they were engaged in like some real dark kind of fringy, uh, you know, you could probably call it like satanic magic Mm -hmm. and stuff. And, it was, and everybody did believe that it was giving them power. Now, the way I think Museveni tells it or some of the generals tell it is I think they had some kind of like conference or rally and certain uh, preachers like approach Museveni and were like, sir, like what you have here is not like a military problem. It is a spiritual <laughs> problem. And he gave up this whole breakdown of like how basically Kony is like using these like dark spiritual forces and that's why you can't get get rid of them. And if you want a solution, you know, you need a spiritual solution basically to a spiritual threat. Mm-hmm. And so they hatched operation Gideon. So, you know, according to them, they, they went up to Northern Uganda. They, they enlisted like thousands of, I guess these were like civilians, like devout Christian uh, civilians and they like bust them all up to northern Uganda and they identified all of the most important ritual sites of like altars and things like that for the LRA. And they went to every single one and they conducted like mass, like prayer kind of exorcism rituals and smashed all the altars. Yes. And the way they describe it in the movie is, I think sometimes like LRA soldiers would like show up like as they were doing this, and like every time they were just like, "Uh, okay," like, uh, and they, they all got baptized, they like became Christians, <laughs> and like gave up their weapons and stuff. And I mean, that could have easily been because they were like originally kidnapped as child soldiers, and it was hard for them to like get away. Yeah. But they kind of emphasize the miraculous nature of like because they smashed the symbolic power of these like amulets and altars and things that it like broke the spell of Kony somehow. Right. And he no longer had power over them and they could like come back to the Lord and <laughs> shit. And so they, they, they went to his home, to that mountain, and they smashed all of the altars that, you know, he would pray to that would make like the stream like turn into blood and all that shit. And so all these people said, like after that, Coney's luck changed all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't like, he wasn't racking up W's the way he used to. And he eventually, that is why they say, like they, I mean, they launched offensives after that, but it was like all the times that he had evaded them or bested them or things or slipped away and things like that, he was starting to take heavy losses. And apparently, like the morale of his men was plummeting because they didn't have any of their ritual sites to kind of do, their, yeah. do their I mean, rituals the rituals and- stuff
3: is like incredibly important i mean i'm skeptical of like you know it's similar to like yeah i mean evangelical documentaries are like not super trustworthy i mean i would say the same like you know uh i'm not being religiously chauvinistic like you know muslims like disseminate like whatsapp videos of like a girl who was turned into a rat by law or like you know a, a a, like a video of a cow getting run over by a train well, in GTA sure. and standing up and being like, look at the cotter of a you know, like, I, <laughs> I know, I'm just, I know. like, but, but I mean, this
4: is, a, I, I would give a little more credence no, to this I'm just using than extreme, like a weird CGI I'm just using
3: extreme examples of like, you know, credulous uh, Islamic videos, but there's, you know, there's definitely things that are equatable, but uh, I'm, my point is I'm not being, you know, I'm not saying this is uh, unique to any one of any ideological persuasion, but I, yeah, I mean like when they were saying like, When they used, like, witchcraft, they didn't get their kids back, and, like, you know, it's just, like, I mean, it's for, like, an internal audience, and, like, I don't know, but, yeah, I mean, it is super interesting that it is, and I think that even the documentary itself is, like, part of that, the way that there's, like, a uh, religious conflict, like, on, like, in Uganda it's being like mm-hmm. uh, telescoped out in a way, or I don't know Maybe telescoped out isn't the right word. This but, is yeah. kind of
4: like the, This is the fundamental conflict that goes on everywhere. You got to stand up against the same Exactly. Beast, yeah. Basically. And, uh, yeah. And the power of the transformative power of prayer. And yeah. And it's and the living God. Exactly. And like
3: this, just one front of the same spiritual war that's also being fought like in the United States. And like this is, you know, basically mm-hmm. moral propaganda, like morale boosting propaganda for like American like evangelicals, you know. Yes, yeah. exactly,
4: and you know, and it's very this that documentary is very like celebratory of Ugandan military. Yeah. it's like it has sequences uh, of like Ugandan military. It, right? on, yeah, he's interviewed, like lashed out with full force, you know, staggering impact. Like and they, they, love they, they interview Museveni in it, don't they?
3: Like yeah, he's yeah, he he in up. it. Yeah,
4: yeah, and a bunch of generals, and all these generals talk about like oh yeah, no, they're like they're they're satanic and they have spiritual powers. Yes. Like that's what we're right. up against here. Like very matter of fact. And, like, I think that, you know, there's overlap with like this fits into like the families, like evangelical agenda and all that kind of shit. But I think, you know, you see it in other African countries as well, like the spiritual aspect of this warfare. uh, And yeah, it's particularly in this period mm -hmm. too. And also, this is also the rise of the era of child soldiers, which I do find a little curious. Mm Because you know, so many of these you know Western depictions of Africa are just like, well, like it's always been this way, it's so tragic. But were there really a lot of child soldiers in anywhere in Africa before the mid to late 1980s? Not really. That's like a very new phenomenon, and I do, and it also it, it does happen to track up with the development of things like satellite phones, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if Kony ever had access to a satellite phone, but there are definitely other kind of rebel movements, like in West Africa in the 1990s, where the leaders had, say, a satellite phone that had certain Western countries on speed dial, you could say, that could uh, almost like a spirit tell them things before they happen and warn them, you know, and they could be in consultation with you know, say France or the United States or things like that. And it would give them a kind of advantage. And then there's also like, there is this like bizarre kind of MK element to like trauma based mind control aspect of like child soldiering in general Mm -hmm. that just suddenly pops up in Africa at like a very specific moment. Now you could argue that it's like a very complex confluence of factors and, and kind of a social breakdown that allowed for that type of thing, and then it kind of—I don't know—had a momentum of its own. Yes, it's but uh, eh,
3: I mean I think it's also I mean I don't time. think that you're like completely off base. I think that it's like not necessarily like something that was begun or like initiated around the '80s. Like it's part of I think like the consequences of colonialism in some ways, and like the way that these well, what I'm getting it like, is that it, it might be. Uh,
4: but I, I feel like it, it might be more to do... Like, it, like colonialism might have a bigger role than we would acknowledge... Instead of, like, the kind of broad historical, well, you know, and in the long durée, like, they did some bad things, and it led to bad results, and then, like, several generations later, we have child soldiers kind of thing. Like, it led to all these events way far back, but I'm talking about, like, neocolonialism's role, maybe, in kind of uh, stoking some of these conflicts. And all I mean, even the the use even though all like the the sort of the spirit world and these kind of uh, indigenous religious beliefs have definitely been there for a very long time and have been kind of like merged with Christianity and Islam and other stuff is there seem to be in certain countries like an explosion in the sort of uh darker side of like the occult practices to gain political power expressly or like spread anarchy or like terror as like in like a phoenix program kind of way Mm -hmm. you know i think that's definitely
3: partially a result of like the exporting of like you know family ideology and like prosperity gospel like, that type yeah, of stuff. And maybe
4: School of America is kind of shit. Like, because, you know, there were, there were U.S. advisors and, like, mercenaries and shit all around Angola throughout the 1970s. And then you had all these, like, Nazi-ass, like, South African mercenaries that... We're doing all kinds of crazy. Like, this guy was running an assassination hit squad, you know, and executive outcomes, which basically Britain hired them to like kick the RUF, who were very similar to Coney, by the way, like down to their signature atrocities of like cutting off arms and legs and recruiting child soldiers. And kind of as Jason. Uh, Russell says, like, they don't stand for anything and they're not supported by anyone. Yeah. You know, kind of that. Right. Like, they're just sickos, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, nihilistic, like, Joker. They're Joker five. Yeah. And it is worth mentioning. I think you've gone to the indigenous name for, like, a spirit, the type that possessed Kony, was a... like, a jock or a joke. Mm -hmm. Like, a Um, (laughs) J-O-K. Yeah. Just saying. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Okay. And uh, (laughs) synchronicity, you know. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there was more uh, going on. Because, like, for example... I mean, uh, I'm going to talk about this soon. Uh, Demon Forces 3 will be uh, dropping. But I am going to talk about, like, the rise of child soldiers, like, in the 90s there, and how... You know, that country did not... That country had a... It it was a very oppressive and unequal society. But it was, like, very stable for most of its history. Like, it wasn't, like, always subjected to, like, extreme poverty and, like, brutal violence and chaos. And even a lot of the colonial violence was, like, not directly visited upon them in a kind of way that would, like, lead you to think, oh, yeah, child soldiers are going to be a thing, like, down the road. It's, like, it, it suddenly popped up after years and years of like US military like meddling and like training and and shit like yes. that you know which i think you so, mean in
3: liberia um yeah, yeah in liberia
4: but then uganda has certain similarities yeah. to it no, I like think in that the that's 80s a you a common have-
3: story where like i think that for instance in sudan like it started to kind of happen after independence which you'd think like oh once they were able to rule themselves look what happened but of course like we that's know that's yeah. like you know uh, it's much more complicated than that and like that's exactly when all the freaks come in and all the evangelicals yeah. get freaked out that like you know they're gonna make the muslims like uh, you know and like then the interest like jacks up like the formal independence causes like the increase in like alarm and like the you know need to exert other forms of control and like to ensure well, exactly. that like, you know, there isn't actually a possibility for true autonomy. Yeah, and- I
4: mean, the, at the, at its core, this is neocolonialism. This is like what Nkrumah yeah, talked exactly. about. Like this is a manifestate invisible children, like all these weird family people. They are all manifestations of neocolonial kind of control and power. Mm. And you know, they, they, it appears they got Museveni. They like lured him into their camp and got their claws in him and now, you know, it as a result, like they have this very like U the relatively U.S. friendly uh, country in Africa instead of one that's like more Pan African or socialist or something like that, or wants to keep its own oil wealth, mm-hmm. you know, and shit like that. And also, if you can keep them broken and poor and powerless with like a government and these like jokers that are running around in the in the bush, like popping out and slaughtering people like a bunch of like gangs of serial killers, basically. You know, it's like this is just like African Gladio, like on steroids, mm-hmm. basically, like it's more brutal and shit, but like it has a Gladio vibes all over it. Yeah. And it, in some cases, the exact same people uh, that were getting involved in that were involved in like P2 in Italy were skulking around Africa and stoking, you know, selling arms and all kinds of shit. So, yeah, we could really, <laughs> yeah. there's no end to the neocolonial horrors. But before we, as we kind of close out here, I want to circle back to the, the man that started it all. Not Joseph Coney, but Jason yeah. Russell. Just because I, I found some interesting shit about him that maybe explains a little bit more uh, about his, I don't know. Just It's just some weird shit that I found, honestly, on his Instagram. Now, we mentioned earlier that his parents founded this nonprofit company called Christian Youth Theater, CYT, I think in the early 80s, and he grew up in this theater. And this is like very when we talked about this really resonated with me when I watched some of their videos when we talked about how Disney kind of assumed like this sort of it inherited this kind of secularized Protestantism. Mm-hmm that it kind of, but also infuses it with, like, sus magic and and shit like that. But, you know, it's like, but the way Protestants, like, look at Disney is even though, as we noted, it pretty much never brings up real religion and it's, like, obsessed with the occult and all things like that, Christians perceive, like, particularly Protestant Christians and maybe even especially, like, I don't know, I don't know about Mormons, but, like, evangelical Christians, they look at Disney as, like, Walt tested like Jesus approved like content basically Mm -hmm. that it's like it's so this CYT does like a ton of Disney musicals like Little Mermaid, you know, Cinderella, all this shit that that, that valorizes monarchy and (laughs) you know that and along with other musicals but So they're they're very much, they feel like a representation of that, yeah. you know? It's like they're doing, it's not, is is Little Mermaid Christian? (laughs) Of course not, no. I mean, the original story,
3: The Little Mermaid, in fact, I think is, like, extremely, like, dark, romantic period, like Hans Christian Andersen, like, tortured Christian, but the Disney movie is emphatically not Christian.
4: No, it's not. And so this group, you know, he like he grew up in it as he said he grew up playing the tin man, Peter Pan, all these other things. Like he was a real hardcore musical theater kid and I believe like throughout I don't know how involved he was with CYT during his Coney years like in the 2000s and leading up to Coney 2012, but it appears that he's he got somewhat back involved with it like in the 2010s when he kind of fell off the radar. And I believe his uh, his sister Also was basically running it, you know, kind of inherited it from her parents. And, you know, they had theater groupings kind of all around the country. I guess I don't know how much money you make from like a technical Christian nonprofit, but it was very prominent and successful
1: Mm -hmm. and all
4: that stuff. So I thought, you know, we mind all the stuff with Disney and evangelicals and just the musical theater kid vibes of it all. But I noticed something kind of shocking when I was looking through his Instagram yesterday, which, you know, he he's still on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, Jason Radical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and he posts all the time about CYT and how amazing it is. Mm-hmm. But then I noticed like in 2020, he had a picture of him. I think it's him like dressed up in... With a bunch of other act like child actors, like in maybe Peter Pan costumes. In fact, I don't know if the guy pictured in this is the one. But anyways, this is what he writes. This is like a four part message. I am a survivor of childhood sexual assault. I was 13, 14, and he was probably 22 or 23. And a male director named Rob Buse at my parents organization, CYT. He was my friend. He really was. But I've since learned that it's almost always a friend or family member, right? The same man also molested many of my closest guy friends. It was our first sexual experience. Imagine the irreversible damage. At the time, I was so ashamed because 14 was, quote, old, and I felt I should have known better. I should have walked out of the room. I should have screamed no. I should have had the courage to speak up. But the grooming and petting is real and paradoxical because, if it might feel good, it must also be your fault. After we finally came forward, we were immediately guided to forgive and move on, because that's what, quote, good Christians do. And that man kept working in the industry and continued to hurt other children. I believed for far too long that I was responsible for this crime. Like, I'm 41 right now, and I think I'm still figuring this out. That's what trauma is. And all the brave survivors who have come before me are the reason why I'm sharing my story for the first time. And that's the beauty of what sharing your story can do. We learn. We grow. We change. As a director, I absolutely messed up and made mistakes. I was bullying, no question, and demanded perfection. Without recognizing, I should have been focused on building kids up, above all. I hope I did some of that, too. Looking back, I'm so ashamed, and I'm so, so, so sorry for my part in any of that. If I ever hurt you, I want to look you in the eyes and sincerely apologize. I am so sorry. Please message me. I want to apologize to you. I don't know exactly what he's referring to with the, like, I'm so sorry if he's just, like, being an asshole. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, maybe, like,
3: because his parents ran the thing, right? So maybe.
4: I think maybe he's, well, because then here's the thing. Then in 2020, it started coming out in the local news in San Diego That there were a ton of pedophiles working for CYT and a bunch of people came forward and like I think threatened to sue the organization claiming that they were molested by like the teachers like the adult kind of director people and that the whole place kind of uh, the whole environment of CYT was an environment that like facilitated grooming and kind of abuse. And that multiple kids, when they went and complained about the abuse to Jason Russell's parents, they basically did absolutely nothing and, like, told them to shut up. Mm-hmm. So, like, very like very much like Hillsong, yeah. basically. Now, the parents themselves were not accused, but they are accused of being, like, really, really negligent to the point of, like, they definitely knew about it and were Okay with keeping pedophiles around mm-hmm. working with kids and stuff. And so then I think like Jason Russell's sister had to give like a press conference, and I think he posted this about it on Instagram. We are so sorry it has taken us so long to respond (laughs) to the overwhelming pain. We have been busy around the clock trying to make dramatic and immediate restructuring decisions and to create a safe space for in-person reconciliation with the victims. As we better understand the layers of abuse, racism, exclusion, or erasure, we will better understand where we lack. But here are a few things we are committing to immediately. We are working with authorities, lawyers, and victim abuse specialists to take each case and each story with honor and respect, and we'll be updating the community as we try to move forward and bring about authentic justice. If it wasn't clearly communicated before, it will be from this moment on that we are are an organization that 100% affirms marriage equality and supports our brothers, sisters, daughters, and sons in the LGBTQ community. We commit to never casting a white person in a role intended for a person of color. Okay, there are other this things is besides weird. just yeah. this molestation. <laughs> okay, we- I, like, they weird were accused of being racist. Into, like, we- <laughs> yeah,
3: okay. All right.
4: We agree that culture is not a costume and different shades of skin should never be recreated. Okay, so they might have done blackface. I face. feel like they probably um, did. Yeah. The burr brown face. Uh-huh. Uh, The culture has evolved in the right direction, and so have we. Oh, yeah, like... so and then his sister said she was going to like step down from the board, but then she just dropped the name Russell and like (laughs) assumed her (laughs) married name and is like still on the board and like producing things and stuff. Yeah. It's just weird. So that's just weird. I mean, and I mean, very sad that that happened to him, but maybe it says something about the milieu that this like, uh his parents were kind of plugged into yeah.
3: so something about a lot of these I mean you hear a lot of this stuff like a I think around the time of you know the first brush of me too which I guess now is mm-hmm. uh you know consigned to the dustbin of history but uh you know you heard a lot about like you know this kind of happening in evangelical churches I mean I I I know that it it definitely happens like in uh, you know, uh, Islamic youth program like Sunday schools or and you know mosque programs too. You know, again, not an exception. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, any
4: organization, it does attract yes, the pedos. Any organization, you know, and-
3: uh, you know, these types of things. Can happen, but yeah, I mean,
4: the real test is like, what do you do with it when it does happen? Do you take the Catholic approach and yeah, <laughs> just ship them off up. somewhere else? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, um, exactly. Also, interestingly, because I looked up, I had to look up this offender that he named, which felt very like a bold yeah, thing. There's to something. Do, I mean, you
3: this, like I think you pointed out earlier, but there is something like very morbidly like funny about the fact that his name is Rob Buse, like
4: it's b-e-u-s yeah. i don't know how that's pronounced but it seems like, yeah, it abuse, sounds, like yeah, abuse. exactly uh, uh, yeah and he actually i found an article in san diego union tribune he was arrested on molestation charges in march 2003 he was teaching drama at granite hills high school and has been removed from the classroom following his arrest for molesting a 17 year old boy he is accused of sodomy, sex with a foreign object, and oral copulation with a minor. I believe he gave, he gave a, a teenage kid GHB. Wow. And sexually assaulted him. And as Jason Russell said, he molested like tons of kids at uh, Christian Youth Theater and stuff. And I mean, the, 2003 would have been, Jason Russell would have been gra- in college by then. Mm-hmm. So he hadn't been arrested yet. But apparently he was engaging with this behavior in this behavior like very brazenly and often and stuff. And uh now he writes like YA fantasy novels with like a woman
1: mm-hmm.
4: and like one I found the description of one that was like the sample of the novel was taken down maybe because of what Jason Russell posted in 2020. But it's, like, all about, like, an alien planet. where There's, like, misunderstood children. Oh who are like, God. a little bit different. And they have psychic powers. Like, basically powder. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, why are all these people... These pedos cannot stop. Like, just no, every story is about the same thing.
3: Uh...
4: Yeah, weirdly, his, his name popped up from last year. I, maybe I should watch out. He lives in uh, West Hollywood. Don't go stalk him, listeners. But he, he apparently lives in West Hollywood. And he wrote an angry letter to, like, the San, the, the West Hollywood City Council to that they institute um, vaccine passports at all the bars in WeHo. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a dark kind of thing. Uh, he also, I believe, he adapted a, yes, he co-wrote a 2007 adaptation of The Legend of Pocahontas for Christian Youth Theater in Portland. I bet that they they
3: revised it for the Disney version to include her conversion to Christianity. Um, (laughs) I'm sure they did.
4: Wait a minute, though. I don't know. Maybe this is just worded in a weird way. But it says here, The Legend of Pocahontas was written in 2007 by John Lorenz and Rob Buse of the Christian Youth Theater in Portland. 2007. That's four years after he was arrested in San Diego. Wow! For did he just move to the CYT in Portland and not tell anybody he was a convicted pedophile and then write a fucking stupid Pocahontas play? Oh my god! Uh,
3: Yeah, that's awful. Fucking
4: weird, man. I mean, that's what they do.
3: They always just move the people.
4: That's the they took the Catholic approach. I guess.
3: I mean, yeah it does make you have sympathy for Jason Russell. Because if that's what he has PTSD from, I, yeah.
4: Yeah. Like I feel that also he, I mean, again, like I feel sensitive about it, but he did mention that like the guilt around like it feeling good. And I do get a vibe from him that he's, you know, whatever, man, live your life, be happy. But like, I I, I do get a vibe that like he's married to his beard. I mean,
3: yes. It's like, uh, it's a kind of like, a, an unavoidable conclusion. I'm not gonna say, like, you know, again, like, it, this is like a lot of that stuff does have to do with like self identification. And if he doesn't, like, you know, if that's if he doesn't consider himself to be gay, then like, as far as I'm concerned, like, he's not, like, you know, but you know, enough. like, yeah, like, it's a lot of it has to do with self identifications, like, and how you conceive. Well, the other thing, you know, th- uh,
4: the thing with the family, I forget if Larry Craig, that senator, was involved in the family. But I think there have always been like weird rumors swirling around the family that most of like the male politicians that like live at the dormitory and things like that are actually closeted. And but then all of those guys are like the most anti gay yeah. legislators like in the country. Like Larry Craig had like like 0% you know, glad Another voting common record.
3: Phenomenon. I feel like there have been a multiple like it's not just like a matter mm-hmm. of innuendo. I feel like there were multiple people busted like who had that situation
4: you know oh yeah yeah well did you read that recent politico article that it was definitely a limited hangout but it 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 sucked me in i forget if i sent it to you but it was about the rumors oh yeah you in 1980 that yeah, reagan yeah. and jack kemp were having gay orgies mm-hmm. at lake tahoe yeah that and that there me was of this of the one
3: scandal like allegations uh yeah. oh
4: yeah i mean i was kind of shocked that craig spence like his name didn't pop up in any of that like it it was almost maddening in certain ways, but it was a certain dimension of the story that I hadn't heard before. I forget the name of like the Republican lobbyist who he went out with like this other guy who I forget what role he had, at what what kind of political job he had. But he was asking about like, "Hey, you have you heard these rumors that, you know, Jack Kemp is, you know, gay or whatever?" And these guys got drunk and they kind of talked about it because, I don't know, people were whispering around. I think it was maybe because Reagan was thinking about picking Jack Kemp as his vice president. Mm -hmm. So maybe the Bush family was, like, circulating this. But then at the end of the night, like, this guy uh, kind of put his hand on the other guy's leg and kind of made a little bit of a pass at him. And the other dude, like, freaked out and thought that he was... He thought he was going to be assassinated. Wow. Because it was very weird. Like, he he said that this guy, we'll circle back to it one day more. I'll remember the names. But he said that this guy could have people hit in South America or in the United States. Like, he was some weird CIA kind of dude. Mm-hmm. and But he was, like, very right wing. But he was, like, also a closeted gay man. And that, all of it just made me think of, like, Roy Cohn yeah. and, like, potentially what some people said about William J. Casey, who was friends with Lawrence E. King Another at least bisexual man, mm-hmm. and how I think Roy Cohn had a famous quote allegedly once that was like, "like I'm not a homosexual, I just fuck men." Yeah, you exactly. know, like that. It's that kind of vibe, yeah. where they're kind of in denial. I don't know if it's like a political thing, or they they're kind of in denial about it. Well, like but I said, it's like a matter
3: of like self identity, like the concept of homosexuality, like however you want to cut it, like it's fine, like but it is. This is something that is epistemological, like it's a new idea. So if you're someone who like identifies with like, you know, Christianity or whatever, I mean, it's kind of like a matter, of course, that I'm not saying that like it's uh, not like incredibly hypocritical to like, uh, you know, try to like legislate against an activity that you actively participated in. But, you know, like it's to say that like that you're gay, it's a relatively new phenomenon, like the idea that like of sexual orientation you know
4: you mean that you're born intrinsically
3: yeah exactly it's a relatively new concept and it's a mm-hmm. matter of like no, belief true. you know it's a i don't think and, that there is like really proof for that idea and really the issue is like like the whole argument that like oh you can't help it therefore it's okay like i feel like that's like kind of a an argument that's like meant to like as like you know that's destined to to fail because like if you know if you could help it, like, would that, it, it be bad? Like, that's like, you know, that like slope gets, yeah. Slippery, like, like so I think And also like what, yeah, you like,
4: know, like, people can take it to extremes. Like, yeah. uh, I just like eating human flesh, like whatever I'm born that way. Like, you know, is it, <laughs> um, you know? yeah, but I, guess, I mean, I, mean, whatever, I guess that like, I guess when it gets into like um, violating other people's like, you know, boundaries, then you're in a different category. Yes.
3: But. Yeah. It's like, uh, like the, like kind of issue like that. It's, it's okay because like it can't be helped. Like, I don't know, like it's you know why, and it, like it's not really like uh, the most sustainable. Like it's moral still premise, operating like, from a
4: defensive crouch a little bit, like kind of. You know, I like, mean, don't be mean, like don't hate them, like they can't help it. Like instead of just being like it's fine, like they're just
3: yeah. Or yeah, I mean, like, like uh, that's yeah. I mean, I feel like it kind of should be approached like from a point of view of like belief. Like if they if like their beliefs are that this is like good, then. That, you know, that's kind of like my reflexive idea or like that, you know, if you believe that that behavior is bad, whether you participate in it or not, like that's one thing. But I mean, yeah, of course, it's incredibly hypocritical to like you know try to legislate against it and not take that stance when in fact it is something that like you participate in but yeah yeah, like well
4: I mean that 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 article was talking about it didn't it didn't fully co-sign it but it was almost talking about how there was like an underground like gay mafia around Ronald Reagan that was almost like puppeteering (laughs) (laughs) which and and the article doesn't mention Craig Spence, Larry King, even William Casey at all but like that's who I'm thinking of
3: sometimes like an erotic element to like close Male like groups, especially like you know, when there's a secret society component, you know, homo social, Jacob Hoover, you know? as well, yeah.
4: Like, I mean,
3: again, like not a judgment, like not being like Putin and Trump are gay, like you know, or whatever, like uh, <laughs> just saying, like they're you know, independently of like any kind of value judgment, like around it. Um, it just it, you know, so maybe there's some truth to that, but yeah, I mean, like the, the hypocrisy of it is. Anyway, that's, like, a complete digression. I will say, like, in defense of the susness of, I mean, I guess maybe this is still sus and just speaks to the complete uh, suffusion of, like, our society by Disney shit. I, myself, was in some Disney musicals as a child. I gave up, like, the idea of acting. Yeah, like, well, because my parents, like, really wanted me to find, like, some kind of hobby that wasn't just like sitting around like and reading or whatever like so like uh, a social activity you know and I didn't really like most sports like so that's what you know that but the acting aspect of my interest in theater uh went away uh pretty pretty early on but I was in some Disney things I was in Beauty and the Beast I think it was in Pinocchio I was not Pinocchio uh, I played like
4: were you Pinocchio no they
3: added roles I was uh, an evil toy <laughs> <laughs> and there we go uh, with animism um, yeah well you know yeah. pinocchio is a very sus storyline but uh they might have even made it susser in like this incarnation because they just added like w- roles willy-nilly for kids but i mean it's just a common phenomenon that's what they do like a kids like you know kids theaters i was mine was at the jcc i think actually
4: oh okay, yeah. interesting um yeah but, yeah I never. I was actually in a musical. I think I was. I was almost in one in high school and then dropped out.
3: Yeah, your uh, association is with improv. Um, True, sus improv, yeah. exactly.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, a couple, a couple. That's our theater kid. Um, yeah. yeah, we do have theater kid. We're like day walkers. Like we're a little bit. Yeah, I was kid. always so can spot kind of an
3: outsider to, like, the, pro- the theater kids proper, but I was, like, adjacent to them. I did the spotlight in our, like, high school production of Les Mis. Um
4: You are a techie?
3: Yeah, I was a techie. Um, oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I was a techie a little bit. Yeah. Oh, the other thing that he's up to today, I did, this needs to be mentioned is, you know, he has uh, what I labeled a sus ad agency <laughs> that, you know, uh, creates like high impact brand campaigns for like, blah, blah, blah. But it's called, I think you, I thought you would appreciate the name uh, Broomstick Engine. Oh,
3: great. Yeah. Uh-huh.
4: It says we are the magical liftoff you've been looking oh, for. Oh,
3: wow. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And they say who we've worked with, Invisible Children, IJM, I guess the International Journalism Monitor, The Giving Keys, Charity Colon Water, <laughs> Fundraise, Tom's, Preemptive Love Coalition, A21, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Wow. This is also peak era where Bill Gates was like going all around Africa, doing his sus little public health campaigns. And, and he was mentioned, him and Warren Buffett, who were best buddies together. Uh, You know, he mentioned both of them as like people to target. So I wonder if he's been subsisting off of like sus Bill Gates money to like do psyop like campaigns. Because I mean, honestly, I mean, the guy, he's a one hit wonder, but he made a big splash. So I'm sure he could get work with all kinds of sus brands. And last but not least, they're having a 10 year Coney reunion in San wow. Diego, I think, in August. So if you want to buy a <laughs> $150 ticket, I don't think you actually have to prove you were involved with Kony 2012 mm-hmm. at all. Uh, you can go to, like, this cool party weekend and That's reminisce nice about and awesome. everything you've accomplished. That's cool. Uh, you know, stopping, uh, I guess not stopping Coney, making him famous. They did they do that. They did
3: make him famous. Well, kind of, but actually they sort of failed because I guess, like... What 65% of millennials like
4: have no idea who he is. Yeah, I was surprised that so many millennials forgot about it, but I guess 10 days that's not very long for it to be like that. Nowadays, that feels normal that something dominates the cycle for 10 days, but back then that was like such a blip, you know, and it went it it shot up so high. I love that you know, in their montage in like Coney 2, that was like right before his breakdown. They have this, like, montage of cable news heads, like, being like, Kony 2012, some say, is, like, white savior. And I think they got to, like, Alex Jones on InfoWars being, like, a fake humanitarian organization yeah. <laughs> start a war." <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, on point. Uh, so yeah. know, Alex Jones is shitting on them. I guess he was right yeah. about that um oh last but not least i can't we can't not mention this but talking about you know musicals and shit there was another coney 2012 video oh, yeah, right. before coney well, this was part of his 2006
3: goal. ultimately like what this guy wanted to do was be in musicals like you know like that yes. was like the end game here which is like always just like are you you know it just undermines the whole
4: thing uh Like, thank God there is a version of this still online. If you look up Coney 2012, Invisible Children, the musical, there is an entire music video that Invisible Children made in 2006. And it is like, where do you even begin with it? I mean, I I, I feel like I can't do it justice. It's like they go, it's like Jason Russell and his two other bros, like go to a high school auditorium and they're giving their Coney speech. And the kids are like, I don't know about that, man. Like, are you really going to stop a war? And then they're kind of, like, panicking because they're losing the audience, and they realize we got to do something big. Well, let's do what we, like, what we always do, dance. And then they launch into, like, basically, I think clearly meant to parody High School Musical, which came out in 2006 on the Disney Channel. They do basically, like, a Coney song, dance routine, like a Disney dance routine about stopping Coney that eventually all the students join in on and they go marching through like the streets of like San Diego at this point to promote their first big great idea, which was I forget what exactly what it was called. But the idea was that you would go you'd like pack a sleeping bag on a certain night, everybody would go to like the downtowns of their cities and sleep out in the street to uh, basically what are they called the the kids that wander around during the night um to like evade coney the
3: invisible children on that like no no no. they had a different
4: name for it like the night wanderers uh, right, or something like I see. that
3: oh i didn't know i thought they were just referring to cover the night in that video like at the end where like they have the kid being like mom i gotta stop a war right now you're <laughs> like yeah
4: uh oh no it was the night commuters the night commuters, it was kids who would, yeah, they would commute at night so that they wouldn't be uh, abducted by the LRA. So they, they were, yeah, the, the end of the video, it says global night commute, a musical to believe in. And the idea was like all these like young kids would, these kids would go and sleep out like homeless people, like in the downtown areas of their city on one specific night to bring to to like publicize the plight of like the night commuting children. Like it's, you could tell like they, they must've gotten some real, they really refined their concept of like cover the Mm -hmm. night as kind of cringy as it was. This is very rough around the edges and you're like, wait, what? Like how are people like, is that, that's not a clear visual message. (laughs) It's also weird in 2006 because now it would be like, I don't think anybody would do that for any reason because there's so much homelessness in all the major cities that it just looks like that every I mean, night. It seems anyways, seems dangerous
3: no matter what. Like you might get run over by a car, or like a bike, or like you know attacked. Like who would want? They yeah, didn't even have action kits crazy. for
4: you to put up posters yeah. and, and you know T-shirts and stuff especially
3: like, that. like the way that it ended up shaking out. Like where you know like no one ended up doing any of these events. <laughs> like uh, it seems especially dangerous. Like if you were in a big group, maybe, but.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's just way. yeah. It was supposed to be April twenty nine, two thousand six. This is during their like you know campus tour days, but it's very uh, it's very cringy. You know, I'll probably post it on Instagram or something. And so that was uh, that was their first stab at the you know the the Coney psyop, and it blew up. Mm-hmm. You know, six years later, it blew up, and then it devoured them all. Was it you know a psyop experiment? Maybe <laughs> I. Yeah, it's interesting to, to see it be like set to for it to self-destruct the way it did so quickly. It almost feels like we live in, again, another like eh, kind of maybe I'm stretching, but I feel certain certain similarities between him and Josh Harris, because like they both come from like sus families. They want to do a social experiment that is going to like predict how technology is going to like rule our lives in the near future. And then they do it and then it gets like weirdly shut down after like a week or two and then they fall into obscurity but the thing they did ends up being adopted by literally everybody yeah. and it's like a dark harbinger of like what awaits us all which is like endless like Mumford and Sons fucking psyops about like collectivism <laughs> yeah, and shit so we can support like the, dropping the Navy Seals In um, the Navy Seals I think gave that Sedgwick lady an award by the way <laughs> Uh, (laughs) like like a tip of the spear award or something i don't know yeah it was like a random comment but anyways yeah so we might try to resurrect the strategy of coney for some other individuals and cover the night in our own way Mm -hmm. i think we have a few we have a few targets that i think are worthwhile john train is still out there He's like 97 years old, but he's still much like Coney. He has not been apprehended or brought to justice, and (laughs) he needs to stop. Um, Michael Aquino is technically stop. Yeah, Michael Aquino is technically dead. He's on the astral plane, and so his influence needs to be vigilantly fought. Yeah,
3: it wouldn't be Coney 2012 if it weren't, like, belated. Exactly. Uh, That's and, what I'm like, saying. Yeah, it's actually perfect but that it's, it's a <laughs> Yeah. Stop a Guido now. He died four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
4: We might, you know what, it, it's a, It's on brand. It works. We might have to buy up every red T-shirt in the domestic United States and sell them all. Um <laughs>
3: Yeah, imagine having to fill up. Damn. Yeah. I mean,
4: God. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, don't get Psyop kids by... The hot internet video. Stop at
3: nothing. Stop at Uh,
4: nothing. Make him visible.
3: It's not over. Uh, (laughs) It's never over. Uh,
4: The war is not over. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what is more of like a satanic inverted like John Train kind of like concept than to like invert Phil Oakes's like PSYOP? And Like Train himself probably came up with that right after, you know, Train was the one who made... One of, you know, uh, one of Jason Russell's heroes, Warren Buffett, famous in the first place. And George Soros, who is like one of the chief authors of the sus NGO, like humanitarian imperialist complex. So maybe Train is behind all of this. Maybe he's the boogeyman we need to catch right now.
3: Yeah, at 97 years old. Yeah. um, (laughs) The world
4: can't wait. Yeah, no, exactly.
3: <laughs> uh, nothing can stop an idea whose time is now. <laughs> uh.
4: Careful, I think you trademarked that. But no, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. And until next time, dear listeners, stay vigilant. Right. You yes. so if you have a question, hand. the three guys Yes, right.
2: So um, the movie was really good and sad and all, but what are we supposed to do about it? That's
3: a really good question. On April 29th, we're having this thing called the global night commute. We're asking you and all you guys who just saw the movie to commute to your local downtown and sleep
1: in the streets like the kids do in the movie. Yep, yeah, right here?
3: No offense, um, but what do you know about <laughs> in your War? I know.
2: I know, it sounds, it sounds crazy, we know, but... And we don't know much, we've never done this before, but we know that what America does gets noticed, and what the people in America do can't be ignored.
4: Come on, guys,
0: get real. Hundreds before you have tried to end wars. What makes you so different? It, it's right. not that we're uh,
1: Is no damage
0: in the world. Yeah.
2: Why doesn't the Ugandan government just shoot that Justice County guy? Yeah. If we live
4: outside, will there be a bathroom? Point. I don't know, I kinda of wanna just leave. They're ADD high school
2: kids. We gotta do something, you guys.
4: What can we do to
1: they bring them They respond to
4: like, spectacle, something huge, big, flashy, that's what we need to do. Let's bring it. Back. Okay, you know? then
1: let's give them what they want. Let's do what we always do. Dance!
2: your mind
1: it needs attention and a dance to make it sparkle and shine Did you brush your teeth? Yes,
4: ma'am. Did you bring your camera? Yes, ma'am. Did you eat your broccoli? Mom, I'm trying to end a war. Well then, let's do this.